There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing with review of WandaVision. Oh, this is gonna be a gas! Part of now playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Us mightiest heroes. Never heard of them. Hosted by Arnie. Don't shoot. I'm just a messenger. <laughs> Jacob. Look, it's the star of the show. And Stuart. Listen, boys, your mother and I never really prepared you for this. But you were born for it. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And guru. Whoa, language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today we're discussing... WandaVision, starring Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, with Kat Dennings, and Katherine Hahn, directed by Matt Shackman. This is the Now Playing co-host who beefed in your borscht, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the voice of Now Playing and Podcasting's Brock. Arnie, Stuart, it's so great to join you for this, my first episode on this Marvel retrospective. I got you guys, sorry. It's been Jacob all along. <laughs> Boy, you scare me there. I was just like, I don't know. Okay. Just messing with your reality. Uh, reality has been messed with because we should have had like three Marvel movies and a TV series before discussing WandaVision. Yeah. Is this what you want to come to after, you know, the, the big climax of Endgame and yeah, let's do something really weird. Like let's, <laughs> that's your next thing is this reality bending weird sitcom. Believe it or not, that was kind of their plan. There was going to be an end credit scene for Endgame and the end credits was going to be Wanda flying into a lab or a morgue or or something and like pulling out a drawer and looking at vision and that was going to lead into this but they decided no let's not do an end credit scene let's do the ending close the book on the infinity saga and let whatever comes next come next but they were going to tease this but yeah we should have had black widow turtles <laughs> and uh falcon and winter soldier and then wandavision I felt the time pass. I haven't seen a Marvel movie since Endgame was in theaters. And when it was time to watch this show this week, I realized, wow, I'd, how long has it? Like, how many months are we talking about? It's been years? 
Spider-Man Far From Home was July, maybe June 30th, but like July 4th weekend of 2019. So 20 months. Okay. And so, yeah, I ended up getting pretty hyped when this was finally knocking on my door. I wasn't hyped for it. Like, I've really enjoyed The Mandalorian. I thought that's been solid entertainment. It's nice to be able to enjoy Disney again. But for this, I I saw those original trailers. I'm like, are they just going to do a sitcom joke for each episode? Like, what is this thing going to be? And I know there was a ton of theories. And Stuart, I'm shocked that you were able to remain ignorant of this because I wasn't watching this week to week. I binged it all for this week review, but things were spoiled for me just because I read the news and I went to pop culture sites and like there was just stuff out there everywhere about it. I knew nothing about this show other than the original trailer. That that shocks me. I knew that they were doing a riff on old sitcoms. You didn't know about Pietro? No. Wow, that totally spoiled. Yes. Like, there are so many crazy theories that I read as the series started. I have a question about that, because you are the comic book guy. I presumed that this was going to be a sitcom format, and now that I've seen the show, I'm thinking there must be some kind of comic book roots, some origin to where this comes from. They pulled this from the annals of Marvel Comics, right? Oh, oh, they they pulled this from a lot of annals of Marvel Comics, like decades worth of comics like Agatha Harkness you know when she came into Marvel Universe with the original Fantastic Four run she was the nanny to Franklin Richards Reed and Sue's son and then she came back eventually as like this witch who would help Wanda learn to use her power she's never really a villain but like the whole twin storyline like look we could have got into Master Pandemonium who has Billy and Tommy as arms yes he has baby arms because they're part of the devil like deals with the (laughs) devil there is all kinds of crazy stuff White Vision that's from the comics house of m which i thought was going to be a major one which i don't really think but that's the one i think of when i think of scarlet witch messing with reality it's that house of m series where she finally remembers that she had these twins because agnes blocked that you know those twins died because they get reabsorbed in like literally the devil like we'll, we'll talk about the devil that's another theory is the bunny the devil in this series we'll get there i have answers <laughs> okay good I've, I've only read the fan theories wow you guys have gone so deep i can already tell i'm like way like way unprepared for where we're going to talk about tonight. All this stuff, there is probably a comic book component to it. Like, again, over decades, starting with Fantastic Four, Monica Rambeau, like, she started in Spider-Man comics, but this is the nice streamlined version that you're going to get here. Oh my god, though. I really just want to start off the bat by giving complete credit to the entire production team because if you look at things, virtually nothing in this entire television series has no meaning. Like, when Wanda is in a grocery store, there is a billboard for milk. The brand name of that milk is the name of a cow creature that helped give birth to the twins in the comic books. I didn't know there was a cow creature in the comic books. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's New Salem, which is, it's like Hogwarts, but it's in Colorado. I think maybe Mother Abigail got her powers from there, like where witches hang out. Like, it's crazy. Again, I just want to say I could recognize right now, these guys are geeking out about milk and bunnies (laughs) And I'm like, things that didn't even occur to me watching this series. I'm like, oh boy, do they have a lot to say about things that I just didn't even pay attention to. There's so many YouTube videos you could watch, Stuart, if you want to know it all. There's so much here. I think if Jacob and I merged brains, we might get it all. But We would have to go frame by frame. Yeah, and I thank you for the people who did. 
Well, like you, Arnie, I definitely wanted to look at who was making this. You're complimenting all the ways that they tied into comic book lore and previous movie and installments and such. I just had a more, you know, curiosity about who gets this gig. What does it mean to be handed the first, what are we calling this, the Marvel television universe? The MTU? Is this canon? I know, like, is S.H.I.E.L.D. canon or is that a different thing? And is this the same as S.H.I.E.L.D. or is this like a movie? Okay, uh, (laughs) here's the thing. This all goes back to our discussion on Inhumans. Oh, okay. None of it counts then. If Inhumans has to count, then none of it counts. (laughs) See, when Ike Perlmutter was Kevin Feige's boss, Ike was able to say the TV shows matter. And then the moment they separated, then the TV series couldn't possibly match up. I mean, once we hit Infinity War with the snap... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had two more seasons going, and they didn't even acknowledge it. You know, they I didn't feel like they even tried to tie in anymore. And the same thing with Daredevil and Jessica Jones and the whole Defender series. The Netflix stuff does not. I mean, I guess it could fit, but... It was all done by Marvel TV and all supposed to take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All of that was supposed to, but that was all being done by Marvel Television, not Marvel Studios, and Kevin Feige runs Marvel Studios. Well, about 2018-ish, around the time Disney Plus got announced, Marvel Television was dissolved as a unit and now only handles animation, no live action, and all live action came to Marvel Studios under Kevin Feige. So now, there's no denying they intend for this to matter. I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did have Maria Hill, Nick Fury, and Sif show up, I think, like, one time each. The actual actors? Samuel L. Jackson showed up in S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, but this makes it very, very clear. All of that does not matter. Anything under Marvel TV, you can call it extended universe, but not canon. This is considered a television series taking place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This matters as much as a movie, so that when we see Scarlet Witch next in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, we're going to need to know what happened here to make sense of it there. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like a big job, is is my point. This sounds like something you don't just hand off to uh, TV writers and say, go do what you want. This sounds like a calculated move on the part of MCU, even though it's not cinematic. It is strange. Streaming. And maybe everything's streaming. Maybe there'll be no movies or television in the future. <laughs> it will all be the MSU. But my question really was, is who's Matt Shackman? I had to go look up and see the man credited for directing all nine of these episodes. Yeah, a lot of TV, including some shows that I really enjoy. I thought that it would all be TGIF. I thought this was his revenge for having <laughs> to do like Full House and, and Moesha. No, he did an episode of The Boys. He's done It's Always Sunny. I mean, You guys are talking two different languages. Stuart's discussing the shows that Matt acted in, and Jacob's <laughs> discussing the shows Matt directed. Oh, he was an actor turned director. Okay. He was the little boy on Just the Ten of Us, the spinoff of Growing Pains. Ralph Boner here is a nod to the Boner character from Growing Pains. I was wondering if that was a Growing Pains reference. Yeah, Matt was a child actor. 
actor who was on all of these sitcoms. He was on Family Ties, Different Strokes. He was always that person who would show up in an episode and then you wouldn't see him again unless you watched three years of just the 10 of us. So he grew up on TV and then went on to direct it. And so that explains why he has this foundational knowledge and love for kitschy, bad... I mean, now he directs appointment TV. You know, all the stuff that everyone says, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, all the stuff that people love. But he is well-versed in all of that junk that people treat as comfort food. Yes, but he's not the showrunner. He's the director. Our showrunner is somebody much more familiar with Marvel because Matt, he's coming into Marvel brand new. Jack Schaefer was the head writer, also the writer for Captain Marvel or one of them, also one of the writers for Black Widow. So she is smoothing things out and bringing some of the cinematic writing team to this show. Okay, so she may really be more responsible for its continued continuity. It's a weird choice. I will put it out there. I think that people have missed the Marvel characters. I certainly have recognized the absence of them from my life. I don't know if I missed them all, but it's been a long time since we've had a new installment. These aren't necessarily the ones that you were most homesick for. But I think that it will be an advantage for Disney Plus that the people will tune into this and be excited for it for no other reason than, yeah, it's been 18 months. And these are characters that already have an established history as opposed to Shang-Chi and whatever else is coming down that I've never heard of. So, yes, for whatever reason, they've calculated that Wanda and Vision are the things to launch MSU. Well, it wasn't supposed to be this. It was supposed to be Falcon and Winter Soldier back in August of 2020. But they actually filmed internationally and had to shut down filming for a long time. Well, WandaVision was able to get back together and film. Falcon and Winter Soldier had to be pushed. So this is the one we got, not the one they wanted. They're short episodes. I mean, there's literally eight minutes of credits. Yeah, I do like Disney's streaming. The Mandalorian's the same way, like 30 to 45 minutes. That's my sweet spot. Perfect. Cut the credits out and it's like 25. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I got time for 20 minutes. So, Artie, that means you get to do the plot and we can really dive into these nine episodes, six hours of WandaVision. When last we left our heroes, the android Vision played by Paul Bettany, was killed in 2018 when Thanos ripped the Mind Stone, one of the six Infinity Stones, from Vision's head. Vision had a girlfriend and lover, Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen. She was also killed in 2018 when Thanos snapped his fingers and half of all humanity turned to dust. But when the Avengers do their time heist, all the dusted people come back, including Wanda. But as Vision died prior to Thanos' snap, he was not resurrected. So with that end for these characters in Avengers Endgame, it's kind of strange when WandaVision begins and we see Wanda and Vision living as a happily married couple in a 1950s sitcom with a laugh track and everything. They live undercover in the town of Westview, kind of like an episode of Bewitched. Vision makes himself look human when he goes to work and Wanda hides her powers from their neighbors. Wanda doesn't realize that in her grief and rage over the deaths of her parents, her brother, and Vision, she lost control of her magic she took control of Westview and everyone in it. As Wanda grew up watching old American sitcoms with her parents in Sokovia, her idyllic life with Vision is that of a sitcom. Each episode seems to jump a decade in style, starting in the 1950s, ending in the 2010s. All the tropes are there, down to nosy neighbor Agnes, played by Katherine Hahn. But despite the overly jolly sitcom setting, occasionally a surreal event breaks the mood. A voice on the radio says, Who's doing this to you, Wanda? 
and in a black and white episode, a red and gold remote control helicopter crashes in Wanda's yard. Outside Westview, the phenomenon has been noticed. First to realize the town is missing is FBI agent Jimmy Woo, played by Randall Park. He then calls in help from S.W.O.R.D., the Sentient Weapon Observation and Response Division. The S.W.O.R.D. team is led by acting director Tyler Hayward, played by Josh Stamberg. One S.W.O.R.D. agent is Monica Rambo, the daughter of Maria Rambo from the Captain Marvel movie. Monica's all grown up now and played by Tayona Paris. When she touches the barrier to Westview, Agent Rambo is sucked into Wanda's TV reality and is brainwashed thinking she's sitcom character Geraldine. When Wanda becomes pregnant and goes to full term in one day, Geraldine has to help give birth to Wanda and Vision's twins, Billy and Tommy. But doing so causes Monica to wake up and start asking Wanda uncomfortable questions, so Wanda banishes her from Westview. And once outside Westview, Monica rejoins S.W.O.R.D., who now has help from Darcy Lewis, played by Kat Dennings. When we last saw Darcy in Thor The Dark World, she was a poli-sci major working as Jane Foster's intern. I guess she changed majors and is now one of the world's foremost experts in astrophysics? She at least knows how to pick up TV. Hey, Darcy was the best part of those first two Thor movies. I'm glad she's back. And it's Darcy who realizes a TV signal is being carried in radiation coming off of Westview, which allows the agents to watch what's happening inside Westview. And, like all astrophysicists everywhere, Darcy is also a master hacker. She gets it to Director Hayward's files and finds Project Cataract. Hayward has worked for five years and trying to repair Vision and make him a controllable weapon. With Wanda's magic, Hayward gets his chance as he's able to siphon some of Wanda's power and use it to reanimate Vision, who is now entirely white, has lost his memory, and follows any order given by the director. It's Project Cataract, so I'm referring to this white Vision as Cataract. <laughs> as trouble brews outside Wanda's hexagonal magic border, or the hex as Darcy calls it, problems happen inside as well. The strange events has Vision questioning what's really going on. The twins aged from newborns to ten-year-olds in one day, and Wanda's brother Pietro comes literally knocking on the door. And that's not just weird because Pietro is dead, it's weird because, as Darcy says, Pietro was recast and is now played by Evan Peters. Pietro also seems to awaken powers in the twins. Tommy has super speed like his uncle, and Billy can use magic like his mother. Vision tries to leave Westview and then discovers the barrier surrounding the town. Trying to penetrate the barrier, Vision starts to break apart. This causes Wanda to expand her control area, saving Vision's life. But this larger area is too much for Wanda to control, and various eras of television blip in and out of existence. Finally, Monica dons a spacesuit and is able to walk through the barrier and into Wanda's world, but doing so rewrote some of Monica's DNA and gave her superpowers. Eventually, all is revealed by nosy neighbor Agnes. It turns out Agnes wasn't just a resident of Westview. She's a witch named Agatha Harkness, who's hundreds of years old, living through the Salem witch trials. She sees Wanda's immense power and wants it for herself. She tried to learn Wanda's secrets by being Agnes, the nosy neighbor, and when that didn't work, Agatha took control of Westview local Ralph Boner and cast spells making him think he's Pietro, but he was always under Agatha's control. She takes Billy and Tommy hostage and forces Wanda to face some repressed memories. Agnes realizes Wanda is the prophesized Scarlet Witch, wielder of chaos magic. Agnes battles Wanda, trying to get Wanda to give up her powers, and meanwhile, Cataract battles Wanda's created 
vision. The two visions end up talking out their problems when they realize they are both and neither the real vision. Vision unlocks Cataract's memories. Cataract says, I am vision, and flies off. Meanwhile, Wanda uses her magic to trap Agatha. She uses a spell to make Agatha think she is Agnes and will live in Westview, never remembering she was a witch. And Wanda releases her hold on the town, but doing so means saying goodbye to Vision and Tommy and Billy. As the cleanup begins, the FBI arrests Hayward for his illegal weapons project. A Skrull visits Monica and says an old friend of her mother's wants to see her. And we see Wanda in a cabin in a remote area near some mountains, floating and reading Agatha's book of magic, The Dark Home. And she hears Billy and Tommy calling out to her for help as the show reaches its conclusion. So all that said, who would give a damn if this was your entry into the Marvel Universe? If you hadn't seen Endgame, for example, would any of this matter? You should ask your 100-year-old godmother. She probably loved Lucy. She probably enjoyed Dick Van Dyke. That is my question, not do they care about the Marvel Universe? What if someone a generation or two younger than us watched this? Do they care about black and white television? Are they going to want to sit through these first few episodes where it's just a parody of old TV? I think that it has the opportunity to bring in and repel old and new fans. It's risky, and I appreciate that. They took a risk by making this the first proper TV series to integrate whatever we're calling phase four. Though not by choice, it sounds like. It's all because of the (laughs) pandemic. But I do think that it didn't go so good at first, though. I will say, while I kept relatively spoiler-free, the stuff I was hearing was the early episodes were not pleasing the intended audience. People were mad. Some of the initial bad-mouthing of this show had to do with some people not getting the joke or not wanting the joke that they're going to so lovingly evoke a bygone era of television. Yeah, I'll ask, Stuart, is it a joke? Because I don't see the satire. They're mimicking old TV pretty good here. Yeah, it's not a satire parody of sitcoms. It's a recreation of sitcoms. I actually, after watching the first two episodes, the premiere night showed two episodes in a row. And after watching that, I went and I watched a couple of sitcoms. I watched Bewitched and Dick Van Dyke Show. And I watched the revival of Mad About You. And guess what? All the jokes, including Mad About You, done last year, are just as bad as in this first episode. They're just as set up. You can see the punchline coming before the setup is said. So I don't see this as a parody so much as somebody almost fetishistically recreating. This first one, I never watched Dick Van Dyke. And because you have Wanda doing magic witch stuff, I thought this was Bewitched. I know I watched an episode of Bewitched where Mr. Tate, the boss, had to come over for dinner and there's always antics going on. Like, these are plots we have seen if you've watched television over the last few decades. Yeah, Vision in the credits, like, he doesn't remember that he can't walk through the front door. He can't take his wife, his bride, over the threshold without opening the door. But he doesn't trip over the ottoman the way that Dick Van Dyke always did at the beginning of the show. There are these subtle little jokes that if you're aware of... I mean, it's not like I watched every episode of Dick Van Dyke. But if you know the reputation of these old shows... I guess I use the word parody very loosely. There are funny, knowing, winking nods... To those bits. This episode is titled Filmed Before a Live Studio Audience. They even filmed this first episode with a live studio audience. 
Oh, really? It's still got to be a laugh track. It sounded like a laugh track. I think they sweetened it with a laugh track, but they wanted to really go period accurate when they're doing their Bewitched era. They limited themselves primarily to the television technologies of the time, holding things up with wires and not using fancy CGI. Yeah, and one thing I did notice with black and white that they must have done something digitally because if you watch old black and white television, I mean, you just watch old television in general. It's, you know, they didn't have... HDTV back then, but like black and white, there's this weird flatness to it. You watch old I Love Lucy and that. This wasn't a crisp black and white like I would have expected where they just, you know, they flip it from color to black and white. There was some kind of effect to give it a little bit of a blur. Like I felt like they were trying to really mimic what black and white TV looked like. Yeah, I thought all of the technical work that's being done, not just in this era, but in all the ones that we'll go through all the way to the 2000s, shows a really studied knowledge of TV history and a real entertainment to those that care. That may not be what you want in the MCU universe, but I will also go ahead and say that it was very evident to me very early on that this wasn't just going to be a sitcom. It's pretty clear that these people are trapped in a limbo and someone is keeping them there. And that there's something very sinister about all of this. I wasn't watching this week to week, so I couldn't post my YouTube theory videos from week to week. (laughs) But I was definitely, like, writing down what I thought was going on. And, like, this whole episode is like, what's so special about August 23rd? They look at this calendar and there's a heart drawn around it. And they're trying to, is it our anniversary? I'm like, wait, is that the date the vision died? Let me see if I can find out if they have a date for when he exactly died with Thanos pulled the gem out of his head. (laughs) But my going theory was, I'm like, if you've watched that old television show, the prisoner Mm -hmm. is it something like that are they trying to extract information from vision circuits and this is something he's recreating or are they trying to extract information from wanda and so i really went deep like that august 23rd that's gonna be a super important date no that's just when the boss is coming over for dinner like that's it it's theorized that that's also the date when this all went down you know, when this was created by Wanda. The thing is, other than one moment in this first episode, I don't feel like they're acting out of place. You know, in later episodes, we're going to see townspeople who look like they're forced, look like they're under stress. Here, we see these jokes. Vision and Wanda are acting just like June Cleaver and her husband from Leave it to Beaver. I mean, Wanda even is wearing June Cleaver's clothes. And Elizabeth Olsen's even doing that, what do they call it, that Atlantic accent where they were trying to come up with this universal accent for English speakers that you'd see in old-time movies and TV. And, like, she's doing that in a lot of these early episodes. So, I, yeah, again, I like those details. But there's in-jokes. Like, she hits Vision in the head with a plate and she goes, my husband and his indestructible head. And you, of course, think what Thanos did to his head. Well, and he calls it a flying saucer. That's what Thanos came in, in an alien spaceship. Yeah, I definitely feel like... Like, they tell you pretty loudly in the first episode that you don't need to worry that this is all that there is. That there is obviously a conspiracy to untangle, and you should look at all of this if you like puzzles and clues. It's a mystery box, not made by J.J. Abrams, but it is a mystery box to be unwrapped. When we get, I guess, our villain for this series, or one of our villains, Agnes, shows up, you know, she's like, I want to know all about you, Wanda. I'm like, see, they're trying to extract information. This is just like The Prisoner, where they come up with these extravagant sets and plots to try to get this information from number six in that 
show. And here, I'm just literally thinking this is Mrs. Kravitz from Bewitched. You know, that nosy neighbor who was always trying to prove Samantha had magic powers. I thought they were going with the nosy neighbor trope. Catherine Hahn, I know her mostly as a comedian. I think she's great in the stuff I've seen her in. Bad Moms... I gotta say, that's an underrated movie. I enjoyed Catherine in it, and I like her pretty much any time she shows up, but I never saw them casting her as, like, a major villain. I didn't expect that to happen. So I was like, okay, she's the nosy neighbor. That's a good role for this funny actress. Oh, see, she was in my crosshairs. I sensed a conspiracy, and so she was so nosy, she's got to be up to something. Yeah, Arnie, are you really telling me that you, at no point in watching these first two episodes, felt like she was part of something that was trying to extract information from these two? No, I didn't. Really? So you're going with my theory too, Stuart. You saw that too. I mean, I thought that was obvious. Whenever they're asked, where are you from? Why did you move here? Why don't you have wedding rings? And they couldn't answer. That tells you right away, wow, they are in a limbo. Who is doing to this to them? I thought the secret was in the commercials. Every <laughs> now and then they would break to a commercial. In this first episode, we think Stark. They're the makers of this Toastmate 2000. We'll see that that Stark, they show a toaster. It's got a red light. It's the first time we see the blending of black and white and color. I'm like, oh, Tony Stark or someone at Stark Industries is behind this. Maybe they're trying to recreate Vision. And then later we're going to see Strucker watches and we're going to see Hydra bubble baths. I'm thinking, oh, Hydra is doing this to them. See, and because of knowing of House of M, I haven't read it, I figured Wanda did this. So that was coming in as my baseline, is it's Wanda's magic that did this. When I see the Stark toaster and that blinking red light and its sound effect are from the Stark missile that Wanda was hiding from as a girl. I really like what they do with these commercials. Once I realized what they were doing, I don't think that was until, what, like episode seven or eight when we get the big flashback. But each of these commercials are going through an event of Wanda's life that made an impact. And and they go in kind of chronological order, starting with Stark Industries and that bomb that lands when she's a child. That's the first commercial is a toaster from Stark Industries. And the forget the past, this is your future tagline for the toaster. I'm like, that's what Wanda is trying to tell herself. Forget everything that's happened. You're now living here in, what, Pleasantville? I mean, if you remember that Tobey Maguire movie. Oh, yeah. When I saw the red light, I couldn't help but think it. You are watching this series, episode one and two, thinking Wanda has created a sitcom fake reality for herself to live in post-vision death. Yes. You have no surprise when that becomes the theme three, four episodes in. Stuart, anyone familiar with Wanda, I think, would come up with that assumption that this is because that's Hmm. what she's kind of known for is going crazy and changing reality. Here's the thing that I thought when I was coming into this, I knew the trailers, right? But I wasn't thinking, I guess, all that deep. But I thought episode one would start with her actually doing this. I thought we would see her create this. Now I realize, in retrospect, you couldn't spend this amount of time in the sitcoms unless it was a mystery box. And the question was, why are we here? If we saw episode one, she made this, you've got to really spend less time in the sitcom world dripping out the hints. But yes, I thought that would be how the show would start, and we'd see her create this. We started in the sitcom world, but I'm from episode one, like, okay, Wanda created this. The thing I don't know is, did she mean to? 
Yeah, to be determined later, but I just want to reiterate what I am trying to piece together and finding fascinating about all these first three episodes that some people might have dismissed as just a lark that wasn't funny is that they're telling us everything we're going to find out is like Wizard of Oz, you know, like everything here is something in reality. And what will that be? Oh, God, there's a lot of Wizard of Oz imagery here, including you'll see the words Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah. You know, there's many references you could go to, but that would be the one that I I think most talks about a delusional fantasy land that uh, is created by someone in mourning. That's funny because what I went to, you know, talking about using the medium of television or I guess streaming episodic shows, which is kind of what our modern television is now, but to talk about TV and, and talk about its impact, I was looking for maybe something more like Twin Peaks where that, you know, we talk about the original series. Arnie, I, I'll leave out the return for now to to spare you but you know that was modeled off of evening soap operas like jr and dallas and all that and murder mysteries but then lynch was doing his own kind of commentary while parroting television i guess i was looking for something more like that like i wanted this really weird a lot of ambiguity and just weird stuff happening and the fact that they these first few episodes they're just doing straight sitcoms i definitely thought they had brought david lynch in to direct the dinner scene i think that (laughs) they're doing all the wacky stuff of Wanda thought it was their anniversary. She's in a nightgown. They have to explain this to the boss as... I love that that's risque, which it would have been in 1950. And she's totally covered. There's like a little bit of bosom showing. and, And she's like, oh my God, I'm so inappropriate. And Wanda has no dinner prepared. She brought one chocolate strawberry. Vision doesn't eat. So now she has to cook up an entire dinner. Agnes is there to help. What kind of housewife would she be if she didn't have a gourmet dinner lying around? Which is, again, telling you that she, more than any of the other people in Westview, is someone that is trying to figure out what's going on and always inserting herself under the guise of being helpful, but always wanting to be a part of whatever shenanigans Wanda is dealing with. And yet, I just keep thinking about the neighbor from Valerie's family or the Hogan family. I wrote this up as crazy neighbor, and I guess this is a little satirical, that a 50s housewife would have all this stuff laying around, a couple of lobsters. She brings over a raw turkey. I'm like, there's no way you're cooking that in time. Yeah. (laughs) But you mentioned Lynch, and I, I agree with you, Jacob. I would have preferred to take the moment even darker and weirder than the show wants to go, but I think you definitely have a break, if nothing else, technically. All of those shows in the 50s were shot for a live studio audience in the three-camera system where you never went in for close-ups or dolly shots or anything like that. When they sit down to that meal and the boss starts choking, you suddenly realize there are extreme close-ups on these people and camera movements and you can see the wife laughing and not understanding that her husband is dying. This is a moment that tells you if you thought up until this moment they were just doing some stupid take on I Love Lucy, there is something creepy here. Tell me this isn't a little bit blue velvet. The way Deborah Jo Rupp, mother from that 70s show, by the way, Deborah Jo Rupp is just laughing and smiling and saying, stop it. And he's on the floor choking. Yeah, when she keeps on saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, is her husband chokes. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, this took a dark spin. Like, I could really get into this now. Like, I was hoping it would lean more into that, but I really did like that moment. I do think on watching this a second time after finding out in later episodes what town people are saying, I think Deborah Jo Rupp, she turns to look at 
Wanda and is saying stop it to Wanda, not to her husband on the ground. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think inside somewhere, this is her real husband. It's going to be said later on, Wanda kept couples together. So her real husband is on the ground choking. She's stuck in sitcom mode, but she's saying to Wanda, save my husband. I like that about these supporting characters. We're not really ever going to know who they are or, or their backstory. But yes, the way that we see their archetypes, later there'll be this bitchy woman that runs the swim club social or whatever. And we think she's so mean. And you do understand why she's mean to Wanda in ways once you realize what Wanda is doing to them. And I thought the dilemma with the, the boss choking on the food here was that Wanda or Vision would have to reveal that they have powers. Or I guess you could just do the Heimlich. Neither of them choose to do that. But, oh, if we use our powers, then people are going to know that we're different, that we're superheroes. But then Vision just, you know, he phases into the boss's throat and pulls that food out. And there's no repercussions. They just move on. That's the end of the episode. They do dig into some CGI for that. It doesn't feel like, you know, that is not a period. No, Dick Van Dyke never did that (laughs) you know they never did but yeah like you say the couple goes home and end of the episode just like in i love lucy although i want to point out when we get to the end of 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 the episode and the credit sequence and what have you we do just have a final shot pulled back of having experienced this whole episode happening on a TV monitor inside a larger layer of of data banks and computers and what have you, and a book with a little sword insignia on it. They're letting you know in this very first episode, everyone should have an understanding of some kind of postmodern awareness. The episode was called Live Before a Studio Audience. Everything that is playing out here is being watched by somebody else. One thing they do, and they do it repeatedly throughout the series, is play with aspect ratios. This whole thing has been in the four to three squarish aspect ratio of old televisions. I imagine a lot of our listeners has, have literally never seen an old television that was square, but that's how this was. If if you were calling it letterboxed, it was letterboxed on the side, but it slowly transitions to be the widescreen letterboxed format on my system so that when you're in the quote-unquote real world, you're seeing it cinematically. But when you're in the TV world, you're going to see it in four to three, or later on, you're going to see it full screen like TV shows are versus widescreen like a movie. And I'm sure you mentioned it, Stuart, that you saw that sword. You probably thought, oh, that's probably something. If they don't explain it, then Jacob and Arnie will. Mm -hmm. But Arnie, I don't know how familiar you are with sword i actually got excited because they changed sword sword is not this evil organization like it is here in this television show in the comics it's basically like shield but in outer space it's shield space force like they're the agency to protect us the w stands for world not weapon they're there to protect us from aliens oh yeah i mean sword and shield yeah but I saw that sword. I'm like, oh, good. We're going to get sword in here. They're going to change it. They're going to make it different. But that did get me excited seeing that little sword on the during this end scene. I don't think sword is going to be evil so much as just the specific director we're going to deal with is a little evil. So episode two, it's titled Don't Touch That Dial. It starts off. We are now with new opening credits and going a little bit kind of Mary Tyler Moore with the way the titles go. And I was thinking bewitched with the animation. Oh, yeah, it is it is Bewitch's 
animated opening when they fly in and are introducing us now to more of Westview. We're learning more about a whole town and the people that, at least according to the credits, are happy to see these folks here. And when we start this episode, you know, it's a joke on the Lucy era. They're sleeping in separate beds because that's what couples did. And certainly couples on TV had to do for, you know, standards. It would just be scandalous. But I'm not wrong here. They're going to say that the banging outside is a tree brushing against the window pane. But it's in fact, it's the drone, right? We'll find out in a few episodes that they're being observed by sword and the drone is banging around trying to see what they're doing we'll never find out definitively what this banging is but yeah there's a drone flying around out there somewhere too the more important thing that happens here is they're both so scared they transition from two twin beds to one queen bed and get down and busy under the covers which is going to have some repercussions Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, I guess this is where she gets impregnated. She won't remember that, that this happens. And again, because in TV language, we never see it. It's only inferred that they would even be having sex. But yes, this is where the children come from. I'm very charmed by the fact that Wanda and Vision so badly want to be accepted by the town that they're going to put on a magic show, but they don't want it to look like real magic. <laughs> like, they can do real magic, but that would, like, expose them. So they're going to do magic with strings. And they have this cabinet of mysteries that has a false back that, you know, I think Wanda on purpose comes out and and exposes the trick. And this sounds like something that would happen in I Dream of Genie or Bewitched. Yeah, Genie. Yep. You know what? I Though, at the beginning of this, I'm realizing Elizabeth Olsen is really a good actress. I initially wrote her off, especially back with that first Godzilla film. I was a fan of her before she came into the Marvel Universe, so I am not surprised that she's as good as she is here. Yeah, I I saw Wind River, and I really liked her in that. Oh, that is good, yeah. But in the Marvel Universe, I thought she was a very pretty face with a very bad accent. Now, though, she is really embodying the era. Like, a Mary Tyler Moore performance, the way she holds her hands, her entire body language, she is doing such a good... It's not a mimicking, it's not an impression, but it is absorbing that and coming off as her own version of it. And I am damn impressed with her in this series. Episode to episode, she lives the era. This is the story of Wanda, and she has to be good. And she has to pull a really difficult part. She has to pull from the past and emulate these corny, kitschy things and then humanize them. Not everyone could pull this off. And I agree with you. She is pretty incredible in the show. And here she has to play two different things because she's going to f- break out of her universe pretty early on here when there she finds this Iron Man colored helicopter outside. Again, I'm of the mindset that things are being done to her. I think that's what they want us to think. At this point, I'm concluding Hydra because, you know, we have the Strucker Watch commercial and all that. So I'm thinking, ah, the bad guys are doing stuff and it's starting to bleed over here. Yeah, there's going to be this whole meeting with all the women from the town. And, of course, there's the queen bee who everyone's got to kiss up to, Dottie. And Agnes even says, Dottie is the key to everything. I'm like, ah, I got to watch Dottie. She's the one trying to get the information or something. Again, I'm going deep here. Oh, yeah, Dottie, especially since it's played by Emma Caulfield from Buffy. She was a major player, a supporting character, but, like, a regular supporting character for many seasons of Buffy. I thought for sure you don't cast her for no reason. and. 
She had said in an interview, oh, I needed Kevin Feige's specific approval before I could be hired. Well, you don't do that for somebody who's just going to, well, I guess you do, because she has nothing. Yeah, I didn't miss anything, right? Dottie doesn't do anything. She is not the key to this town. No, no, but that's, it's called a red herring. I mean, when you're designing a mystery, you want to lead people towards an obvious conclusion and then pull the rug out from underneath them. We won't look at Agnes because we're looking hard at Dottie. I guess my frustration is, Stuart, is with the first episode, I'm like, August 23rd, what is the mystery of this date? What does this mean? Oh, it's just when the boss is coming over for dinner. And then Dottie, like, I won't realize Dottie is useless until the end of this series, but looking at it as a series it is kind of frustrating you could have you know throw out one red herring but if you're looking at this as a cohesive story you're throwing out a lot of stuff now it does feel like episodic television where maybe it's like the batter parts of Twin Peaks where it's just oh we had to throw out mysteries because we had to keep going for another season and we didn't really have anything I don't experience it that way I feel like all of this is very much controlled and that I don't feel like there's a lot of fat in here there's misdirection but I don't feel like there's dead end storylines I feel like Dottie is Whenever they say whatever her real name is and we see this swimming pool in its actuality, she's just another victim of small town America and... And I have empathy for her. So, I mean, as the show develops, I think that all of these moments are recolored, so to speak, quite literally in the show. But they take on a new dimension uh, when we get to the end. There's misdirection and red herrings. And then there's just screwing with people's heads, though. Because Dottie is going to say, the devil's in the details. Yep. (laughs) I was just going to quote that line when you said screwing with people's heads. But then Agnes leans in and says, that's not the only place he is. Well, one thing that Jacob mentioned mentioned a little bit in the beginning that was just a rampant theory to everyone I talked to is that it was going to be revealed Mephisto or the devil was going to be behind all of this. He was going to be revealed as the big bad. They make a lot of references to hell and the devil and things and they're just screwing with Marvel fans because Mephisto did play a part in the twins birth in the comics. Billy and Tommy are two parts of his soul like they come from the soul of the devil. So I get that you guys are mad, but the joke's on you. Like, that is what a good mystery does. Lead you to go, I know what's going on, and then find out you're not so clever after all. For me, I'm not mad. I'm just, these are my theories going into it. But I do think, like, then you're trolling your fans, like yes. Lynch did with Twin Peaks The Return. I don't think misdirecting mysteries and having you jump to conclusions that are wrong is not fair play. I think if you're throwing out devil references, uh, maybe you should have the devil show up then. I think there's a point to it, but we got to get to episode eight to really explore that subtext. But yeah, there's this meeting. But again, I'm thinking of this as a period-specific 1960s television show. I'm like, wow, they really have a lot of people of color in this 1960s TV show. I've watched a lot of 60s TV. Yeah, it stands out. If you grew up watching Bewitched and all all that television, it is not this diverse. But that becomes interesting because this Dottie character likes to chastise the women of color. Like, there's some other woman that... You know, I think her name's Beverly, and she got something wrong, and she didn't check the chairs. Yeah, and then then there's Geraldine who gets Wanda in trouble because they're talking while Dottie's talking about the children and doing things for the children. And so you do wonder if that's the subtext of of this evil character that doesn't like the women of color. Later, she'll say to Wanda too that she's heard about her and her husband, and Wanda says, "I've never meant to harm anyone." I think she says something to the effect of, "I don't believe that." 
I agree. There's some knowledge there. I didn't notice that Dottie was rude specifically to the people of color there, but when you find out how this all came about and that these people are actual townspeople repurposed, it does make sense. But when I'm looking at this as a complete recreation of a 60s TV show, I noticed Geraldine when she came in. I was like, oh, the sassy black friend wouldn't show up for at least 10 more years. Which I call knowledgeable understanding of the genre. These are writers that understand that when they're diverting from formula, it raises questions and eyebrows. What's going on here? And this scene gets weirder because not unlike the dinner table scene from the first episode, suddenly what is coming through the radio? There are voices and people asking, who's doing this to you, Wanda? Again, setting up the idea that something is being done to Wanda and not that Wanda is doing it to everyone else. Agreed. And the song they used, I kept for the rest of the weekend, I was singing, help me, Wanda. Help, help me, Wanda. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was clever because, of course, it's Rhonda, but yes, it works for, for Wanda. I don't think there is a song about a Wanda. And this causes Dottie to break the glass in her hand and bleed red blood. So again, I'm thinking Pleasantville. But what keeps throwing me off, because I like this weirdness, that's what I want, but then we also have to pay attention to these really, uh, again, stuff I grew up on. I was a kid, though, so I was entertained by it, but these plots, like Vision, he's going to swallow some gum, and that's going to gum up the works in his tummy, and he's not going to be able to do magic right. Another thing I'm noticing during this scene is like, yeah, it's you're right, it is like a Lucy bit or something you would see where the shenanigans are on stage, or if this were a 60s show, it would be that he accidentally got drunk right like instead it's because he has he he doesn't eat food but somehow he swallowed gum on accident but the idea is that ultimately it's wanda you know she'll be the one to pull the gum out she is the one like creating the illusions behind the illusions so that nobody gets weirded out by the magic if you are paying close enough attention or if you're thinking about it after the reveal happens one episode later you realize that she's really the one trying to control everything Another subtle joke I love in this moment is that Agnes pipes up and makes a sarcastic comment about she wishes someone would make her husband Ralph disappear. And throughout all the early episodes, she's always talking about husband Ralph. And that's all smokescreen, right? She doesn't have any Ralph. She's not like catering to any man. This is, they're creating the idea that she's just one of them. No, no, no. We meet him. Ralph Boner. Oh, oh, you got me. I did. Yeah, but they're never married because she, Agnes ends up not being from this town, but it's just a character she uses. Okay. She took over his house and is living in Ralph's house, but I thought this was just the sitcom trope of like Norm's wife, Vera from Cheers. Yeah, the, the unhappily married couple. Yeah, but you never see the spouse. You just hear them talk about the spouse, but we never saw Vera in Cheers and we never saw Maris on Frasier. I thought Ralph was just that trope, but no, in the very final episode, we'll meet Ralph. You're right. Okay, I didn't put that together. I I saw this as a way for her to hide and to seem like, again, a misdirect. Like, oh, she's just part of the town. She's one of these people. We would look at her askance if she was somehow living alone and always snooping. She's good at hiding, as good as they can make her. The one thing that gets me this episode is this entire show is a fundraiser for the children. Dottie says, mm-hmm. for the children. And then every other woman just in unison says, for the children. 
And I was thinking of, you know, Hot Fuzz, where they're like, for the greater good, <laughs> and they all repeat that. Here, I was trying to figure out why all these people repeat for the children. This episode will end with Wanda revealing she's pregnant, but why are all the townspeople so obsessed? Is it because Wanda's controlling them and her mind is on babies? I mean, I think there's that, but I think it's a line later that she felt bad about controlling the children. There are no children in this town. Like, it will be observed, empty playgrounds. When Vision starts to suddenly suspect what's going on, he'll notice that the playgrounds are empty and the schools are empty and there are no children here. But this episode, it's really weird moment comes after the magic show when they are back home and got away with it. They won the award for best comedic performance and they hear a noise outside. They go out and a beekeeper is coming out of a manhole. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is what got me to want to see episode three. If I was watching this week to week, like, again, this corny storyline about the vision swallowing gum, whatever. This does feel really Lynchian, this ominous black and white with the, a beekeeper. Like, that's so weird. Yeah, we saw a toy helicopter, but that feels like, even though it's color in this black and white world, this toy helicopter feels in place. I don't know. There's something so bizarre. I know in the 60s they had beekeepers, but you didn't see them crawling out of the sewers. So that was such a weird moment. I'm like, is that the swarm? Like that, that If you know that Marvel <laughs> villain made up of bees? I'm like, what is going on with the beekeeper coming out of the sewer? Okay, I gotta see how this plays out. With all the bees surrounding him. Not only that, but it's equally weird that Wanda just says no. Yes, and it rewinds. And all of a sudden, they're back inside and the whole living room gets colorized as they kiss. Yeah, and it ends again with Wanda. Who's doing this to you, Wanda? Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, this last moment tells us and like I said, the earlier magic trick is that behind the magic, it's all her pulling the strings. They're telling us early, and Arnie, you're already on the wavelength, but I missed the idea that I should be looking as Wanda as the culprit for all of this weirdness. So, Jacob, you said that the beekeeper would have gotten you back for week three. Yes. Uh, again, they showed two episodes the first night. So this turning to color and beekeeper was the last thing we saw that first night because the next week I was Googling why is Washington, D.C. not a state? I was on Google and I typed why is W and I stopped in my tracks because its top selection was why was WandaVision so bad? Wow, really? People didn't like this. I mean, I'm not like, I, I don't think this is fantastic. I have voice problems with it, but I'm seeing this as a week to week thing. And yeah, that, that was an intriguing enough ending to get me to go on. So, but people didn't like this. The only thing I can presume is that people didn't understand that there was a basement to all of this. They saw the surface and they didn't like that and were not catching that a whole lot was going on underneath. But one thing that I and my friends talked about is we're only watching it because it's Marvel. If this was not a Marvel show and it seemed to be this 50s sitcom, 60s sitcom with one strange thing per episode. No, I'll go watch Westworld, like Jacob said. I'll watch a show that's more gripping. It helps that these are only like 20 minutes long, honestly, for me. Like, yeah, if these were hour-long episodes, I'm out. There's not enough weirdness for me. Yeah. The other thing that they said, and I caught this a lot on my second viewing, is they were really looking at the Kubler-Ross stages of grief mm -hmm. when making this. And watching the first two episodes, 
episodes, you know, the first stage of grief is denial. The fact that she is completely living in this fantasy world and not letting anything come into it shows, you know, a complete level of denial. But now we're getting into episode three and we're going to start transitioning to anger. Yeah, episode three is where they tell me at the very end what's going on and the mystery is solved. Yes. I know because of what happens to Geraldine that Wanda is behind it all. And so it does become looking at it less as a mystery box and more like a Pixar movie about the stages of grief. That's exactly how I look at it. But now episode three, we're in the 70s. I love the clothes, the hair. They're in the Brady Bunch, right? They have the Brady Bunch backyard. Oh, that house is the Brady house. Yeah. The inside of the house, I mean, I watched so much Brady Bunch growing up. The staircase with no backs to the stairs that go up there, that was from the Brady house. The whole color palette. The fact that Wanda's pregnant, and so Vision is trying to put diapers on a doll to learn how to do it, and it looks like Kitty Carryall, which was Cindy Brady's little doll. The fact that Wanda doesn't want to let anybody know that she is pregnant is really interesting here. Well, that's because it's been one day. Yesterday, she was doing a magic show and wearing a onesie. And today, she's the doctor diagnoses her, Dr. Nielsen, for Nielsen ratings, Ah. the doctor diagnoses her as four months pregnant. Right. But of course, Vision's doing the math. He can calculate and knows four months equals 12 hours. At this rate, the whole nine months will be over by the week's end and that they're having an accelerated baby. What is going to come out of my wife? Yeah, I I don't understand the Vision's math there. And of course, it's going to play out to be wrong anyway. But like, if you're four months pregnant, a matter of hours, like, how do you get weeks from that? Like, I'm thinking by the end of the day, you're giving birth. And there's a couple more jokes here. You know, they're arguing about the baby's name. They're not, of course, it's going to be a quote unquote surprise. It's twins. He wants it named Billy after William Shakespeare. And he says, all the world's a stage and the people it's players. Very apt. I caught that on the second viewing. It's a lot of sight gags about setting up cribs and butterfly mobiles that come alive. And She loses control of her powers, though. She's like, I'm not doing this. I thought it was the baby doing it to her, you know, because I knew one of the babies would grow up to be Wiccan, a uh, magic user. I thought that was it, but it's showing here she's not as in control as she thought. She has a contraction and, like, the, the power goes out for the whole block. This tells me, oh, this isn't someone trying to get into either the Vision or Wanda's brain and get some information that this is now Wanda in control. Like, we see something happened to her and it affects the reality. So at this point now, I'm like, okay, this is all about Wanda. I'm not there yet. I'm still thinking that the baby could represent something being done to her, some outside force digging into her brain or such. That It's it's only really until we get to the end. It's, It's Geraldine that spoils everything really and and she comes in here after they have the sight gag about Wanda's water breaking and it's literally like a thunderstorm in the living room with everything getting wet she's here to theoretically borrow a bucket for a house that she doesn't even have and she starts prying into basically what's going on. But there's the sitcom, you know, Wanda accidentally caused a stork to appear, and so you're trying to hide the stork from Geraldine, and this is very much, again, Bewitched or so many of those sitcoms, having to hide the weirdness from the normal person by making them look the other way, and she's trying to hide her pregnancy, too, behind a fruit bowl and all of that. 
Arnie, I'm going to ask, because as you've already said, you're the sitcom guy, and I'm hearing you appreciate and take the story at face value. Are they doing it well? I mean, I think I've kind of said that I, my patience was being tested. That's what I'm hearing. But but at the same time, you like sitcoms, so are they not doing it well, or this is just not what you ordered? I watched a ton of sitcoms growing up, but I can't rewatch them today because they're so unfunny. Most do not hold up. I've tried going back even to night court and things. And some of the jokes I find funny because I remember laughing at them when I was young. But the problem is most sitcoms made today aren't funny. Again, the revival of Mad About You is one of the worst written things I've seen in a long time. And it's, you know, should be coming from prestige people for streaming. So I appreciate the attention to detail. I like this trip down memory lane, but get on with it a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, my frustration is none of this TV stuff ends up really mattering. Like, this is just how Wanda experienced the world growing up. She liked television shows. She watched sitcoms to learn English. So this is what she's using as a reference to build her reality. I don't feel like there's any deeper commentary on, like, beware if you buy into TV tropes. Like, that's not real life. I just don't feel like there's that kind of subtext going with this. I do like, though, that the first Marvel TV show is about television. You know, it wasn't intended that way, but it's nice and meta. Yeah, and I definitely feel like with each passing decade, television got a little bit more and more real, started to reflect reality more and more. I think that's where Wanda is heading. So as we zip through TV history, she's going to get closer and closer to something that feels like truth. Unless she spends all her time in the tub with Hydra Soak. Right. Remember the Calgon Take Me Away ads? Take Me Away. I used to cry when the, whenever those came on, there was a crying baby and what, something that looked like blood. And I was Jeez. sure that someone was bleeding to death. I, was, I couldn't handle that commercial. I want to see Stewart's World based on TV. Give me that reality. <laughs> Dead babies while the mother's taking a bath. It was traumatic. But this says, Hydrosoak, find the goddess within. Hinting at, you know, there's something inside Wanda that is going to come out. I'm not hearing that until the baby arrives. And that's pretty much where we're at in the episode where, okay, Geraldine delivers it. And, you know, Vision has had some slapstick trying to get the doctor, but they arrive too late. And then, of course, there's a new baby coming. And there's, they can name them both the names that they want because they're here. And then it gets weird again because as he's ushering the doctor out, he looks across at the neighbors and they're tittering about why they would let Geraldine into that house. And Stuart, this is the one time where I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I am wrong about Wanda controlling everything because we see Herb, the neighbor, he's like, he's got the hedge clippers, but he's cutting into like a stone wall i'm like oh they're trying mm. to break a firewall to hack into vision's brain that's what that yeah. means. <laughs> no I, I i definitely feel like i think they want you to again misdirects good ways of of creating a plausible theory that will have people expecting something and feeling in control so that they can say no that's not what it is my question is what was agnes doing with her yeah that's what i wonder okay i didn't miss something you don't know either <laughs> Yeah, watching it twice, I really wanted to pay attention here because she's telling Herb, don't tell Vision anything. And Herb is like, because we are, you're what, you know? Yeah, Geraldine came here because, and he trails off. What it does is it, it puts, again, Agnes under that cloak of she's just like everyone else. She's not a magic-using competitor with her own schemes. She is a pawn in this game. We are not to think of her as... As a 
part of the problem. But they're worried about Geraldine because she doesn't have a house. She's homeless, even though she, yeah, had those pipes and wanted that bucket, but then wasn't in any hurry to leave with the leaking pipes in that bucket. They're pointing out her difference, and so we're looking at her harder. And then we have this sort of ellipse where Geraldine, like, they're talking about twins. Wanda mentions that she had a brother named Pietro. That's when Ultron gets dropped, and Geraldine is suddenly out of the episode, mysteriously. And she's wearing a sword medallion, too. So the fact that she ends up by the welcome sign and, like, the aspect ratio changes... And, you know, she's basically babbling about it's all Wanda. I didn't need to go to episode four to know. I think the jig is up. And I don't know if that's good or bad. But I realize at this point, oh, Wanda has created this bubble to protect herself from grief. One thing I noticed on a second watch, because later on, Geraldine is going to say, Wanda made it so I don't die. I mean, she was flung through four walls, three in the house and then one barrier for the town. But you do see Geraldine, or her real name is Monica Rambo. We see Monica is wrapped in red magic as she lands. So her blow was cushioned. And Kevin Feige revealed, I think back at the last D23, but if not, then still long before the show began, that Teona Paris was going to be Monica Rambo in Captain Marvel 2. So that she's not Geraldine was not a surprise to me. That was rather spoiled, kind of like Evan Peters. And again, I told you people were impatient. This ending didn't really satiate them. And so Marvel got Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany out there doing the press circuit, both of them with one message. A big change in the series is starting with episode four. Come back, folks. Just give us one more. I'm still shocked that Marvel fans were reacting this way. This show is well done. There is no reason to distrust what is going on. Maybe you're not into sitcoms. I get that. But it's not bad. I don't know why you would feel like they're putting out an inferior product. And we'll have a whole episode, the next episode, where we interrupt this program, that's the name of it, and we step away from the whole sitcom universe and peel back the curtain and find out Monica's story. The opening of this episode, I had to rewind it a few times. Like, again, I didn't rewatch it in the movies, but you see Monica, like, fading in. Because this show is about someone with magic and we've seen weird stuff going on, I didn't realize that this was the reversal of the snap going on. And, like, this left me confused where they're like, well, your mom died three years ago and, and you disappeared. And so you missed that, like, when she died. I'm like, what is, is this something Wanda's done? Like, finally it clicked in. Ah, this is still Thanos and Endgame and all that getting reversed. This show actually takes place before Spider-Man Far From Home because she is waking up here the day of the Battle of Endgame. And we saw the people coming back in Spider-Man Far From Home. They had that school video of like basketball players crashing to the ground. But here, they make this look terrifying. They make this like a disaster film as people are just appearing and getting bumped into, getting knocked down. Yeah, it's a really good way of creating new mysteries. 
Just as I was getting a handle on what was going on, suddenly I'm thinking about things I never was. Like Captain Marvel? (laughs) When Monica's being brought back, you hear dialogue from Brie Larson and the actress who played Maria Rambo and the actress who played Little Monica. Oh yeah, they make sure you know this is the girl from Captain Marvel. Yeah, I did not, and probably never will, frankly, (laughs) go back to Captain Marvel. It references it enough that I figure out what's going on as they want me to. It takes like a wet fuse moment of just like, huh? Oh, okay. Like within the first five minutes, yeah, I get that. Oh, okay. They've done something kind of clever here. And we're to understand that this is the world trying to reassemble after half the planet was left grieving and the other half feels like no time has passed at all. I think we get a good thing with Monica. She's in a hospital because her mother was being treated for cancer. And two years later, Maria Rambo, the cancer came back and killed her. And so three years have passed. But to Monica, she just fell asleep in the hospital room and can't believe her mother's dead. She thinks 20 minutes have passed and it's been five years. And that was really one of the, the neat dramatic features of Infinity War into Endgame was that all of that grief. And, you know, this is a theme of WandaVision. We didn't spend a lot of time with her grief that I can remember. So that she's going to get extra time. We get to think about what her life was like during that five-year period. Feels right. She works for Sword, a company which Maria helped found, we discover, back with, I guess, after Captain Marvel. Maria worked with the government and created the Sword. Her mother's name was Photon, her nickname, and that is Monica Rambo's superhero name, or one of them. And you're teasing that this is some major thing and people would be gasping, the connections and all this. That was the black woman that may have been the lesbian, but they were not brave enough to introduce <laughs> that idea. Yes. Right? Like, And so they had all of those really awkward moments of like, I'm really going to miss you when you go out in the space, but we can't say why and I can't even kiss you. That was Maria, right? Yes. Okay, I vaguely remember that and feel like that whole thing. Vaguely, you just reenacted it. I know, I'm shocked. I don't remember any of that, but you just quoted it word for word. Yeah, it was very unsatisfying and like, good. I'm glad that that character's not coming back because that was not working at all. When we get a Captain Marvel 2, it's going to be this chick, the daughter that was in that movie. Was she a child? Yeah, she was. She was the little girl for Auntie Carol. Okay, don't remember her at all. But she is now a fighter pilot. Honestly, I think Monica's superhero origin here overstuffs the series a little bit. But like you said, Stuart, I like Monica here dealing with her grief as like the antithesis of Wanda. Wanda can't handle her grief and is hiding from it. Whereas Monica, we're told, is the very first disappeared person to show up at work. It's been three weeks since the unsnap and she is at work ready to go, but she's grounded. They're not going to send her up to space. They're going to send her to Westview. Not only that, but her mom has been replaced by this white guy, this Tyler Hayward. He took her mother's place. He's the one that's saying, you can't fly anymore. And by the way, yeah, we used to fly into space, but space is really scary. We don't go there anymore. We've shifted everything that we do into nanotech and robotics and AI. And we'll find out figuring out how vision works so that we can make another one. 
So he's kind of a nefarious character. We we will realize that the paranoia of those five years has caused someone that probably shouldn't have taken power to take a hold of this company and steer it into a direction of uncertain intent, but kind of seems diabolical. Yeah, the way that actor plays it, Josh Stamberg, you know he's not trustworthy from the very first. Yeah. And he's sending her out on the shit assignment, and then when she doesn't want to do it, he, like, gets snide with her and says, well, if you're not ready. And so she does go out to New Jersey to find out what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, it is weird. Like, she's going on a missing person case. I I guess they're from the witness protection. That's why Jimmy Woo's involved. Yes, and we'll never find out who. No! (laughs) They're still missing in my mind because they were in the witness protection program. Wu was checking up on them and nobody remembers the town exists. I don't know why you get sword involved with that. I figured there was an inside joke. This actor, Randall Park, was also in that last Ant-Man movie. Yep, yes. So I assume it could even be Ant-Man, right? Wasn't he in the witness protection program? No, he was on house arrest. It is never revealed. I thought maybe it was Dottie. She's the key to everything. And maybe it is. And I wouldn't discount the fact that this is a storyline. It's Marvel. Come on. They could tell us in five movies and it'll be a little in stinger or something. They, they, there might be a really good answer to this waiting to happen. But not here. Not in this series. And so they've got a mystery. We see the West View as it really is. It's in New Jersey, and you can't go inside of it because there's a force field. You, you, you have the sheriff saying it doesn't exist. Yeah, he's from East View, though. <laughs> so, like, everyone is rewired to think that, oh, this place doesn't, it's off the grid. It's suddenly this ghost town that nobody can go into. Monica brought a drone. It disappears into midair pixels. Interesting that the drone is the color of Captain Marvel's outfit, but when it's going to crash inside, it's the color of Iron Man. Wow, deep. You're, you're go again, like, I, I appreciate the knowledge, don't get me wrong, but that's something that would never occur to me. Okay. I don't know why it ends up the color of Iron Man, other than Wanda may miss Iron Man too, because, you know, he saved the world, but... Well, again, I think Tony Stark is a almost unspoken villain in this, you know, so maybe if Wanda is the one creating everything inside this town, the fact that she would be thinking about Tony and Stark Industries will get there but there may be a very good reason she's dwelling on that that's true you're putting together something i never realized is at the end of age of ultron tony leaves the avengers cap takes over and that's when wanda becomes an avenger and then in civil war cap leaves the avengers tony takes over again but wanda was on cap's side so wanda has to hide from the government wanda and tony have never fought on the same side yes we're going to find out why to a certain degree yeah until endgame i guess she did mourn him at his funeral but yeah i could see why she would see stark you know her very first memory of stark is that bomb i could see why then she would turn stark into nefarious colors Mm -hmm. but after the drone goes in so does monica she touches it and gets sucked inside we know this because we already know geraldine's story they're going to keep outside of it though for this episode we're not going to go back to the sitcom really we'll see her get thrown out at the end we don't even get opening credits yeah i think that's good i think that it's good to shake up the formula and let people know very clearly in, in a whole episode give them all of this don't cut back and forth let them really know like this is a big pull back the curtain moment and we have one other hero to get to one other callback i suppose getting back to darcy lewis and the thor universe 
I called it out in the plot summary, but it isn't, I mean, I love Kat Dennings, okay? I watched Two Broke Girls because she was very funny in it. I think she's funny in most everything she does. I love her as an actress. She is not as funny here as Thor, though. No, I was so happy she was coming back because I love her in both Thor movies. She's the best thing. Yeah, she's the best part of those first two. Hiddleston's the best thing about Thor, too, but she's number two there. You know, she didn't get enough to do. But now they're saying this poli-sci major is an astrophysicist and you know she didn't know what she was signing on for marvel called her in and said we want to bring you back and bring back the darcy character and she signed on and then found out it was for a tv series not thor 4 but <laughs> oh no honestly this makes no sense as an evolution of that character no that may be but the good thing about being where i'm at is i don't spend any time <laughs> on that kind of thing okay she's an astrophysicist now i'm totally fine you cast her and you bring her because she's someone from the Marvel Universe that has credibility in the land of sitcoms. And since that's what we're mining, we're going to bring back her. We're going to bring back Randall Park because he's on Fresh Off the Boat. And we're going to just use our sitcom stars to anchor this one because it's a sitcom-centric story. I'll say I went along with this Darcy change because she experienced a lot of stuff in her life. All that stuff with Jane Foster, all the physics and crazy stuff with Thor. Like, I can see her changing majors after that. Totally. Why wouldn't you change fields after Thor? I'll give you this. After Thor and the fact that we have to remember this is supposed to be the year 2024. Three, that maybe she didn't get snapped away and because of everything, she did go back and get a physics degree. I guess there is enough time there where she could have matured and gotten a physics degree and lost what made her a great character, which was her sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the downside. There is a little of it here. Like when she asks what somebody's specialty is, he's like, we're not supposed to say. And then we get around, well, I'm a chemical engineer. No one cares. I mean, there's a little of it, but there's not enough of it. I never loved this character, and it's not just because I never loved the Thor movies, but the fact that she's back is a non-factor. Again, I look at her as the sitcom actress that's going to bring more sitcom humor and just some cynicism to what Hayward is doing. She will be brought in and almost immediately feel like these people don't know what they're doing. She's the one that figures out that Wanda is broadcasting in a sitcom black and white style. Yes, it was Darcy watching, I guess, the television show at the end of episode one. Yes. And maybe not unlike the Marvel fan, we see her being won over. At first, she's like, what the hell is this? And by the end of this episode, she'll be crying when they're getting married. And like you can, you, she finds herself strangely pulled into this silly show. But I feel like she's providing a lot of data dumps here, like starting to explain all the stuff going on with cosmic microwaves, uh, background radiation with TV signals, and they've identified the energy field as hexagon shape. Like, Mm -hmm. what's the secret behind that? I think it's just because the Scarlet Witch in the comics, like her powers are often referred to as the hex. Oh. So that's why it's a hexagon shape here. They never really explain why there's a hexagon shape here. It's just they dropped the line, though. Good catch. Well, it's a part of the mystery box because we have noticed, you know, like she'll be under a blanket and it has hexagons on it or when they have those frame devices at the end of the episode, those old style where it, usually it's all, the characters are in a heart or something. In this world, they're within a hexagon. So it's been something if you've been keyed into it, it's been a motif going on. It, it has it's helped create and build the mystery of a pattern. Darcy doesn't do a whole lot in this series, but she is here to provide snarky commentary. And like I say, he, I, I think she is having the reaction they want 
the viewer to have. Uh, initially being very concerned, but quickly being sucked up into this new small screen Marvel universe. It helps, uh, you know, we have a trio of people outside standing up against the outside evil of Hayward. We get Darcy, Monica, and Wu, whereas inside we have the mystery box. So having that trio set up, they do play off each other pretty well. I like it when Wu and Darcy are together. Again, you pointed out they're both sitcom stars. Good timing off of each other and things. Mm-hmm. Should also be pointed out, we get the answer to the beekeeper. There's an Agent Franklin who they try to send in by going underneath the force field. They think if they go through the sewer, that he'll somehow be able to to get in there and spy on what's going on. And his hazmat suit gets transformed. But it's, it is Wanda who reimagines him, or the town itself. It changes your molecules. Yeah, they'll they'll explain that. I think in another episode, it's still a mystery why he comes out a beekeeper. But yes, we'll find out that whatever you have gets changed to age appropriate times, whatever era of television you show up. Mm -hmm. I still don't quite understand how that becomes a beekeeper. And more importantly, where did the bees come from? Oh, I think it's just innocence. (laughs) What I liked is when the beekeeper comes out of the sewer and we're seeing it from the beekeeper's point of view, when he comes up, there's a little bit of color. Like the lights are brown, you know, they're not white. It's so dark, it's kind of hard to tell. But then they become white as it all fades into black and white. He's in a white outfit in a dark area, but you can just see the color fading away there. Well, yeah, and he also does have like this cord connected to, I don't know if it's an oxygen hose or whatever, but it turns into a jump rope with those colorful plastic bits on it. But Darcy is invested in the show because of twins. And now we're going to find out what really happened to Geraldine. We're getting back inside the hex and seeing what we didn't get shown last time. It was censored from the TV show. Yeah, Wanda decides what gets in and what gets out. It's her show. And all of that becomes pretty obvious in these... Like, if I hadn't already been on that wave pattern, this is definitely where you realize that, oh, okay, she is not going to allow anyone to disrupt her illusion. And that is the threat, that she sees anyone that would try to tell her, hey, Vision is dead, your brother was killed by Ultron, anybody like that gets thrown out. No questions asked. Goodbye, I'm not listening. We're seeing Wanda pissed. This is the anger stage of those five stages of grief. Yeah, we do see her for a second. She sees a glimpse of Vision dead, like without the stone in his head. Again, I think that really tells you at this point, nobody should really be confused. I I mean, this episode ends with Monica saying it's all Wanda. We know what's going on. Yeah, you can be confused about little details or why exactly. You're not tracking everything, maybe. But we all understand by the halfway mark, more or less, what is going on here. And now we're on to the 80s. And now I think we're kind of in the bargaining stage of grief, but episode five on a very special episode. Remember all those very special episodes? Bicycle shop on different strokes, of course. What about the Family Ties episode where the drunk uncle comes, played by Tom Hanks, and they have to confront him about his drinking problem? Mm, It does sound (laughs) like a very special episode. (laughs) Here, it's just special to see that, yeah, Elizabeth Olsen really does look like her sisters. She does. When you do that hair like that, oh my God, she looks like baby Michelle. I was trying to figure out the setup for this house because I got a little bit of growing pains. I actually thought of Mr. Belvedere. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Oh, yeah. That living room. I thought the sh- for sure reference, though, would be Full House. It didn't really look like the house. And come on, Olsen twins, if ever. You didn't come back for Fuller House. You couldn't come back for the 80s episode and just make this mwah, perfect. I mean, she's got twins. They're twins. They're all related. Like, it, it would have been perfect. But they did do a Full
full house joke here because if you watch these opening credits, these opening credits might be my favorite because it is a mixture of three shows going on here. There's the painting being done. That's family ties, right? Family ties. But then there's the photos going through the ages of the people. That was the opening to Growing Pains very clearly. Yep. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah, they always had like the, you know. Yeah, they start as a baby and get older. But one brief scene is the family of four running across a field. That shot is a direct lift off the opening credits to Full House. Yeah, and they they have a picnic by the gazebo too, which I associate with Full House (laughs) for some reason. I think they have a picnic in that. that. That's when they're running across the field. It's at a picnic during those opening credits. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I get what they're going for here. And this is my era of watching sitcoms. But they are so in that 80s vibe, though, with the hair, the look of it. I do feel like I'm watching an episode of Growing Pains. Yeah, what's killing me, like, of course... You know, Elizabeth Olsen is is emulating her sisters, but Vision's hair is really throwing that floppy yeah. 80s cut blonde <laughs> thing. It's like, wow, this is really, <laughs> it's really strange. Up to this point, I feel like he's been bald and hiding it with a hat. And now we're looking at him with a full head of hair. But the babies won't stop crying. So Agnes is going to come over on her way to Jazzercise. <laughs> this is where I really appreciate the studio audience. You know, they've been clapping and applauding and laughing throughout all of this. But boy, they, they really did layer on those all in the Full House <laughs> episodes. And here, like, they're going to take a moment that's actually very creepy that the children go from being crying babies to five-year-olds very quickly and just say, oh, isn't that cute? Aw. But isn't that a trope of 80s sitcoms? It's like, we need to breathe new life in here. Let's have the mother from Family Ties or Growing Pains get pregnant. Oh, it's been one year since they gave birth. Now we're hiring a six-year-old to come in and be cute because the youngest one's getting too old. Yeah, I definitely remember feeling like they did age fast in that. And yes, new versions of the cute young one would be produced when the one that was the young one got a little too old and and weird looking. But we got two strange things going on here. First, before the baby's age, when Agnes comes in, she wants to hold the baby's vision is afraid her hands might be germy or something. And then Agnes just like is saying, do you want me to take that again? Should we take it from the top? And, you know, one looks confused. I don't know if she knows what's going on or not, but Vision is getting real suspicious. Yeah, that's given a hint that Agnes, she sees the illusion. She knows something's going on with this television, which is different than everyone else we've seen. Yeah, I think Vision doesn't want her to touch the babies for reasons. Like He senses something about it. And we approach this scene with the perspective that we're going to have after we watch the whole series. We realize that it's Agnes that uses her magic to get Wanda to say, yeah, she can have our kids. Because what Agnes is doing during all of this secretly is trying to find a bartering piece. It's usually the kids are the best one, but something that's going to force Wanda to tell her how she creates this magic. What I found odd watching this a second time, and it really points to Agnes having powers that when the series is over, I don't think she has. But when she is told to babysit, she pulls out this perfume thing and says she's spraying the babies with lavender. Mm -hmm. And then immediately they're five years old. It made me think she did something to age them. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't think that's the case at the end. I don't think she had any control over anybody in here. It was Wanda. Oh, I took it that she was manipulating 
giving them that, yeah, that that helped them age. They're going to age again to 10, so they're old enough to take care of this dog that she shows up with. What she will eventually say, I'm really jumping ahead, is that she's been patiently waiting for Wanda to explain herself. So it's only natural that she would be wanting to to move this along. Let's get through the 80s, the 90s. Let's get to right now so that you can tell me how you've created this town. And, you know, Vision and Wanda are surprised by how fast the kids age. But, of course, it was a one-day pregnancy for them. But... Agnes is taking it in stride. So yeah, this does start to really draw attention to her as not quite the same as others. Earlier, and I think it was episode two, she walks up to Wanda and goes, oh, here's the star of the show. You start looking at that in a different light later on. True enough. Although we also see other characters breaking. There's co-worker Norm, who has a moment when he's getting a Commodore computer at the office and gets an email from Darcy. And Okay, okay, I got problems <laughs> here. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the 80s? Really? Because they're making email jokes? It seemed a little early. I mean, good thing this is not reality, so we don't have to get stuck on these kinds of details. <laughs> I will not get, allow myself to be mad that the bringing an email in the 80s. I just want to know how Darcy knew what email to send it to. Yeah, somehow from outside Wanda's sphere, Darcy was able to send an email to this 1988 computer and vision reads it but it never really leads to anything but that said the jokes feel like they were right out of those mid-90s sitcoms if i have an email i need a letter opener you don't need that we're already cutting edge they're certainly not breaking any new ground with sitcom humor but they are in the right area yeah i think they understand what people treated as funny in these family sitcoms again it's it's not just sitcoms it's the ones where it was a tv family that people wanted to be their own family especially how hard they go with all the other tropes was like when we get to the 90s and the 2000s like i really do feel like i'm watching a sitcom like this 80s one disappoints me like maybe because this is the era where i really watched a lot of sitcoms like i really wanted them to lean into it and i i don't feel like they did it really i feel like they understand every era as much as i understand every era of the sitcom family like it feels very much like a special episode of different strokes yeah yeah, when, when the kids are washing the dog in the kitchen sink and she realizes it and, you know, just, again, I'm thinking of, like, Valerie's family and those kinds of shows. And I think maybe, Jacob, what you're feeling, though, is we don't stay in the sitcom world. You know, the three episodes we started with, we're in a sitcom from beginning to end and it had a little weirdness. But this one we're going to cut in and out of. Yeah. Yeah, from now on we know there's a reality to go to. And so we don't we don't have as much time here. And I'm going to nitpick. They shot this in a widescreen ratio for the 80s. It should still be 4 to 3. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. No one had a HD TV in the 80s. So Agnes is, again, always there, always has this solution, you know, always like popping up with a doghouse before it's even known. You might be looking at her, but I think we're to think the more important detail is that Wanda is no longer hiding her magic. She is just like producing dog collars out of air and being like, oh, I'm not going to pretend anymore. And Vision, you shouldn't either. We should give up the illusion and we should start just accepting that we fit and belong here. The one thing I guess I, I should have known, but I had to look up is the commercial for this one. Lagos brand, Paper Towns. Oh, yes. That, I, I'm like, what organization is Lagos? I don't remember that organization. That's not Hydra. That's not S.H.I.E.L.D. He was Lagos. Can I guess? Because I, I haven't looked this up to know, but I think 
they were in some African country at the beginning of Civil War. Yes. Yes. And Wanda threw something into a building and blew it up. She saved Cap's life by throwing crossbones who had a suicide bomb on into the Wakandan embassy. There it was. That was it. But it sort of created this thing that sort of stained her reputation. And caused the Superhero Registration Act. Yeah, isn't that what caused the Sokovia Accords? Yep. Yeah. This commercial is an idea of wiping away guilt. Makes sense for her. And I thought it was kind of horrifying. Once I realized what Lagos was referring to, Stuart, you talk about being scared from commercials. Like the fact that, you know, that was a very deadly event and they're like, this red juice spills and they're just wiping it up like it's blood. Like, I thought it was kind of morbid. For when you made a mess, you didn't mean to. Yeah. (laughs) It is quite the thing there. But it comes right after Wanda really started getting control, though, because we got to see outside, they sent in another drone. They realized you have to be pure specific i guess they had a drone in the 80s i didn't know they had drones in the 80s i mean they probably had things that like cold war borders or something like that but we weren't playing with them (laughs) i mean we had kites we didn't have drones (laughs) but it's important to realize at this point when we cut out to reality hayward at this point very clearly sees wanda as the problem he labels her a terrorist radicalized by hydra the principal victimizer he's interpreted everything monica has reported back as we have to hurt Wanda. Yeah, I think this is where we're first told that Wanda broke into a top secret location and stole Vision's corpse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's definitely looking bad in the eyes of Sword, but not in the eyes of our heroes. Monica, Wu, Darcy, yeah, none of those people are buying this line. When in fact, Hayward is right. Well, Hayward is a little paranoid. Keep in mind that he, I think, was touched by living through the five years that Monica didn't. And do you blame him? I, I What I kind of like about this MCU, and you do see it in the Marvel comics as well, where you have the Damage Corporation, where they're just there to go fix up buildings after superheroes and supervillains fight and knock them down. Like, I kind of like that real-world, man-on-the-street look at superheroes. And so, yeah, if you lived in this MCU, like, these are terrifying people. Like, you've seen a lot of horrific stuff happen, including aliens wiping out half the population. Like, I don't blame them for being so paranoid. So, yes, he is going to take some kind of drone. Well, I mean, I think Monica's pilot Piloting it. She thinks that they're just getting information. She doesn't know it's armed with weapons to kill or something. Yeah, I mean, it had a missile on it. When Wanda won't talk to Monica, Hayward says, take the shot. And, well, Wanda takes the shot. She walks out of the barrier and tells them where to shove that drone. Yeah, and if you look at that drone, you said Monica had these, you know, red, wavy magic lines around her that maybe were to protect her from being pushed out of the hex, but now it looks like that is just residue from the cosmic radiation surrounding them, because you see that on the drone as well when Wanda walks out with it. Yeah, I figured she brought it down with some kind of magic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I took it as, like, Wanda's magic is, it leaves fingerprints, and that's what this is, and she's going to ask very nicely for them to allow her to continue to live in her delusion or face her wrath which is pretty severe bargaining right she's like asking them stay out of my home is what she says i don't know how how nice that is you don't bother me i don't bother you to me that's bargaining Mm, i don't know when a magic person walks out with your weapon that you used to kill her like to me that is a threat like (laughs) i am stronger than you do not mess with me and they can't just walk away i mean to hayward's credit she's not just living in a delusion she has taken a town hostage 
and everyone there used to have their own free will and independent lives, and now they have to placate Wanda in this TV delusion. Going back to that email scene that bothered you, Arnie, where you get a co-worker asking for help. It hurts so much. Like, what is going on? Like, why are these people in pain? Like, there is something scary. And I think that's why it, it sort of becomes this special episode about death and all of that. When we finally get back into the storyline about Sparky, he's gone missing. The kids are going to look for him. They've turned 10, by the way, at this point. They're the age they're going to be for the rest of the series. And they find out that Vision's dog has eaten poisonous bushes. And Mommy can't fix dead. There's nobody. Nothing is forever. Yeah, but she's really giving platitudes that she herself wouldn't believe. She's just like, we can't reverse death no matter how sad it makes us. Some things are forever. I mean, I'm sorry, but having lost a dog, I'd be falling to my knees and shooting out magic bolts like she does when Petro gets shot, you know? I would be very, very upset set with the passing of this dog but she does not give her sons the same consideration she herself takes when she suffers a loss yeah but as you're talking about with the bargaining stage sometimes you know in rationalizing things you you can see it from both ways and i think here yeah she's giving advice she herself won't take death is not changeable and yet she somehow created this environment to protect her from it and if you watch this a second time man is Catherine Hahn just really doing well in the scene, listening to every line, and they say acting is reacting. When Wanda says some things can't be changed, we can't reverse death. I mean, the boy says, you can fix anything, Mom, he's dead. And Agnes says, you can do that? She is really trying to find out the limits of Wanda's power here, and I didn't catch it again on the first watch. But then again, I didn't suspect she killed the dog. Yeah, I mean, again, I suspect her, but I don't know of what. I guess that's the way I would leave it. If, in fact, all of these people are just pawns, then why she's been so nosy and what she hopes to learn by tailing this family so closely, it gets lost in the shuffle. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it because she's not my focal character. I'm more with Vision in that he's coming to these epiphanies and he's going to confront Wanda that night and say, what are you doing to these people? Like, he's, I don't want to be controlled. You shouldn't be controlling these other people. This is wrong. And she makes him... She rolls credits on him. Yeah, yeah. He is her puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and when they get like magic mad at each other and they both fly up, is it a Marvel thing? I need to start paying attention. Do you have to have one knee raised when floating? Because they both are like mirrored floating with one knee up. It's the same pose they took in Civil War when they fought each other. <laughs> But, Stuart, you said you weren't thinking about Agnes that much. Well, that's because you watched this all in one day. Mm -hmm. I had a week to think about what is Evan Peters. Mm. Oh, my. The the amount, yeah, the, the amount of YouTube theory videos. Like, again, I didn't watch all these when this first happened, but just doing my research, looking at the dates, I wanted to find the ones, like, when this happened, all kinds of theories, like, running wild. This was the worst secret in the world. Yeah. It was spoiled six months before the premiere that all we knew was Evan Peters was going to be in the show. And it's like, could it be Quicksilver? It shouldn't be Quicksilver. So 
I was having bated breath to when he showed up, would he be playing Quicksilver? All I knew was people had spotted him going to and from the set, even though they tried to keep him literally under blankets and things like Michael Jackson's kid. But he was spotted around the set and the rumor was he was going to play Quicksilver. But I I just couldn't imagine it. I wanted to know who he would play. I never expected it to be Ralph Boner, but that was (laughs) the only thing really spoiled for me. Here's the thing. You get Evan Peters show up. Evan Peters played Quicksilver, the better Quicksilver, in the X-Men movies. I guess I'm I'm thinking everybody's listened to our reviews of both Days of Future Past and Age of Ultron. Yes, you think everyone <laughs> has thought this deeply about it, and I think a lot of people may miss this that are casually watching this. But if they were going to be accurate to this universe, they would have gotten kick-ass and not Evan Peters. Of course, they were both in Kick-Ass. They make that joke yes. next episode. <laughs> so we're seeing X-Men Universe Fox movie Evan Peters playing MCU Aaron Taylor Johnson Quicksilver. And we know they're making Deadpool 3 and Feige has said that's going to be in the MCU. Well, not just that. I mean, Doctor Strange, that next one has multiverse in the title and the last Spider-Man movie hinted maybe that there's a multiverse like that was the big theory. So I'm thinking Evan Peters being here means something. It is the multiverse coming together. Yes, Spider-Man Far From Home would have Mysterio saying, I'm from a multiverse. And Maria Hill and fake Nick Fury just roll with that. But did they know about a multiverse from this? And how far can it go? Can Chris Evans' Human Torch meet Captain America? (laughs) Can Josh Brolin's Cable fight Thanos? Can Charlie Cox and Ben Affleck hang out? Can Elektra and Nick Fury team up to avenge our credit scores? Is Fastbender going to be Wanda's dad? But most importantly, when does Nick Cage show up? They have opened Pandora's box here. I love that they punked you this way. This is hilarious to me. I thought about this for all of about 30 seconds, and then I just kept hitting play and letting the next episode roll on. I mean, but what did you think, Stuart? It's just, oh, it's just a joke. It's just a goof on everyone. I thought that they would explain it in the next <laughs> next two hours. It wasn't really like weighing on my head heavily about the significance. It was either that they were going to say that various Marvel universes are blurring and thus I need to worry about Howard the Duck <laughs> and Man-Thing and David Hasselhoff could be replacing Samuel L. Jackson. Oh boy, but David Hasselhoff sang a song at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, at some point, you just, you meet yourself. But but to answer what I really thought, Jacob, where I landed was, this is telling you that she is not in control over reality and that she has created a distortion, Quicksilver, because she has gone so deep into her sorrow and her fantasy land. It, that he wasn't real. This isn't her brother is the way I took it. And I think Evan Peters is an actor that has largely existed in television. I think of him as always being in Ryan Murphy projects. Mm -hmm. I I know him from American Horror Story besides Quicksilver. Yeah, he's done a lot of Ryan Murphy, including the, the crime story and Pose and what have you. So, yeah, I figure he's right for TV. This makes sense that this would be the TV Quicksilver. What the ultimate aim is, I mean, I expect at this point that Wanda is not going to be 
able to keep this delusion going forever and that he will eventually be exposed as a fraud. I think this is the better Quicksilver, so I'm glad they went with this one. This is the one that's more recognizable to me. My thought was they couldn't get Aaron Taylor Johnson back. No, they want to mess with our heads. I just thought they couldn't get back the actor they had, and they're like, well, what's plan B? If we can't get our Quicksilver, let's go with their Quicksilver. I did some digging. Aaron Taylor Johnson has said repeatedly that if they call him, he's back, you know, between contracts and liking the MCU, Aaron Taylor Johnson is not going to say no if they ask him. They should have had him show up as kick-ass during the Halloween stuff in the next episode. That would be funny. What, is he too busy doing five minutes in Tenet? I mean, come on. Like, yeah, he's <laughs> he's quite available for this. Yeah, apparently they did not even approach him. They were in the writer's room early on and they said, we don't want to bring him back because we've already brought back Vision. We've brought back one character from the dead. It's mm-hmm. too much to bring back a second actor from the dead so who else could do it and evan peters was like yeah hell yeah there's method to their madness and and we'll get to that we've already indicated that he is not in fact her brother so there's a very good reason that a different face is playing pietro but the episode ends with him on the doorstep and arnie's head explodes and he waits a week (laughs) to get to the halloween spooktacular the episode six that brings us into a 90s punky kind of uh malcolm in the middle style credits where the kids are now telling the story and running around with a camcorder they kind of skipped the 90s this is early aughts you know they're kind of bridging the gap there but dance dance revolution jokes malcolm in the middle was an early 21st century sitcom That's what my thought was. Seinfeld, that's the 90s, but I guess that's Uh not a family show. That's not kids. Right. They're not a a traditional family at any rate, which is what they're mining. I don't know who it would be. Malcolm makes sense. And keep in mind, all of these sitcoms are properties owned by Fox, so they can do it without fear of being sued. Like, Fox has been absorbed by Disney, so it's fair game to go to Malcolm in the Middle. I never considered who owned it when you're doing parody like this. But yes, you've got the kids breaking the fourth wall. Oh, yeah, it is just... Tommy and Billy in the middle. (laughs) Right. They're all getting ready for Halloween, and they're all being dressed in their superhero costumes as if Roger Corman had (laughs) the rights to the series again. Like, they're all these tawdry versions of their comic book outfits. Yeah, this traditional costume for the Scarlet Witch, which I don't understand that headpiece. I guess it's to mimic Magneto or something. I don't know. But I love it. Like, she's like, no, I'm a Sokovian fortune teller. I wanted to know, Jacob, do you know in the comics, does Scarlet Witch wear like a pink body sock and then put a bathing suit on over it because yep. I've never understood why Scarlet Witch's arms and legs are pink but her head is flesh. Yeah, I think she does wear a pink bodysuit, at least in the, the original, you know, the older comics. I think they've updated her since. But yeah, I think she has a pink bodysuit and then a red bathing suit over that. But I do like seeing this comic accurate outfit here. I was wondering how they'd explain away Vision. I mean, Sokovian fortune teller, that was clever. But what is Vision? A Mexican wrestler. That was great. Yeah, he's kind of got a Lucador look. I, I like Quicksilver's retro outfit you know they do his hair like the comic book character with the kind of like wolverine looks but don't miss the fact that vision doesn't want to wear that you know when i said billy and tommy are in the middle they're in the middle of their parents fighting at the end of the last episode they were about to hurl bolts at each other when quicksilver showed up here vision is like there were no other clothes in my closet 
she took away his clothing and made him wear that outfit. Yeah, I definitely see the power dynamic as Wanda forcing Vision to do what he doesn't want to, which is partly why he likes his neighborhood watch. He wants to get away from her. He's going to spend Halloween looking around the town. He is not going to be part of the trick-or-treating. It's going to be Uncle Pietro who's going to take the twins out and... Does he teach them their powers or does he just encourage them to put silly string over everyone and and use the, the Quicksilver running and the magic to have fun on Halloween night? I think they just discover their powers with him around. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what they said in interviews is they wanted to replay that dynamic of the family member who comes and causes trouble. You know, they upset the dynamic of the family. And so you're supposed to think maybe his influence is what got Tommy running fast. And I think they did have powers. I mean, we're going to see a movie theater and there's two movies playing. One, The Parent Trap. Okay, that's about twins. Makes sense. And then also The Incredibles, which is about a family of superheroes came out in the 2000s too Mm -hmm. yeah all these references make sense within the context of the themes and another thing that makes sense is pietro is they're starting to reminisce my brother is back i thought you were dead oh no i i was gunned down in the street and then i heard you calling the next instance it's kind of like the blip all of a sudden, no, I, it, it felt like no time passing at all. I'm I'm here to be with you. She wants to reminisce, and he doesn't have any memories about the old orphanage or all of that. He's asking her the questions about how this is all done. He is an agent of Agnes, and so it's only natural that under the guise of being your long-lost brother, he's really trying to get Wanda to confess. And if he's an agent of Agnes, aren't you thinking Mephisto Jacob when he yells, Unleash Hell, Demon? and spawn <laughs> yes yes i really didn't think they're gonna bring the devil into this but i'm like man they're dropping a lot of references they might bring the devil into it i'm like that's gonna be crazy if they do just i'm thinking of people like stewart or those who like the mcu because of the movies and not the comics i'm like how crazy is this gonna get but he's pretty good at turning things back on her you know he he's like you're testing me and she says why do you look different and he's like you tell me and if i found shangri-la i wouldn't want to be reminded of the past either he's picking at her scabs but yet doing so in a way that deflects her questions and this is where we get our kick-ass joke which is more meta than meta but unintentional unintentional yeah timmy says kick-ass and runs away when he finds he has powers and then wanda stands there and goes kick-ass i mean that was intentional that was yeah don't tell me that they didn't know that you would be thinking about aaron taylor johnson and kick-ass According to the director, they didn't realize it. They were trying to get across that Pietro was teaching them bad language and going with a sitcom trope. They didn't realize that Aaron Taylor Johnson and Evan Peters. Oh, come on. Mm, not buying it. Everything is a reference in this show. I agreed. If the director didn't know it, and that's possible, the writers did. That is true. That is true. But that is my favorite reference of the whole thing, is that they were both in Kick-Ass. And my favorite commercial of the whole thing is this awesome, <laughs> yes. claymated, it feels like a Twizzlers ad. Like, it's just... I was going to ask you, Stuart, now that I know the, these morbid commercial fantasies you have, you must have loved this one, because, yeah, this feels like those 90s extreme yogurt. Everything was extreme for kids in the 90s. Rollerblades. Yes, it was. Yeah, the Noid from Domino's. Mm-hmm. California Raisins. 
the raisins, but those were 80s. It started it all. But the Lipton iced tea ads with like the boxing ref. I didn't watch a lot of TV period in the 90s. This to me reminds me of what would have been on during like Nickelodeon while I was babysitting. It feels like an ad that is targeting youth and selling the uh, the fun of Yo Magic Yogurt. But it turns twisted because this kid on a desert island is so weak, he's not able to peel off the lid and he dies of starvation. Yeah, this is the one commercial that doesn't totally play like a commercial. Like all those other ones, yes, we get it, Hydra and Stark and all that. But those are real products. Like th- those feel like commercials you'd actually see. Yo Magic, okay, you buy some yogurt, but I, I people going to want to buy this because a kid dies on an island eating it? Like this isn't a real commercial. Like the other ones feel like they're plausible. It's so hard to open the lid. I mean, that you could die? Yeah. That's a selling point? Yeah, that wouldn't be a selling point. But you know what? Ironic humor definitely was a selling point of the 90s. And for a kid's product, I can believe that they would do something this extreme. At any rate, I think it's important to introduce the idea of death because this fantasy world is starting to die and yeah. and the illusion is, is coming undone. But what I see here is, okay, you see a little kid in a red shirt trying to unlock this, the snack for survivors. This is telling me Wanda has a lot of power that she is not able to get to, not able to control. Hmm. One thing that has been said again and again, it was said by Vision last episode, is I have to believe whatever happened here, it started as your subconscious. You know, Monica's going to say it, Vision's going to say it. We're going to be told again and again that Wanda started this, but she didn't mean to. We're not going to make her too bad a villain. Early episode, she's like, I don't know how this started. And that's where I thought a big bad was coming in. Like somebody caused her to do it initially, but then she kept going. But no, this Yo Magic is saying she had the power and just can't unleash it. Yeah, and we'll even see by the very end, it's two in one. She is a twin of herself. There is a side of her that is versed in the dark arts, and then there is the the human side, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's showing us that there's a darkness to this, and we've had glimpses of people saying it hurts so much. This time that we learn, S.W.O.R.D. is able to track the vision and, and see where people are in the hex, and they're like, oh, people towards the back boundaries they're not even really moving they're kind of almost just frozen in place and i guess that's because of for wanda you know with her magic she's concentrating on those closest around her to build that television and these other people near the edges they don't really matter so they're kind of just frozen stuck in place it's it's horrific just like that commercial and they threw me off the scent because vision is going out there you know he's wanda finds out from herb that vision isn't on neighborhood watch that night and vision went out to the edge and finds agnes there And they do drop something because she says she took a wrong turn. And he's like, you took a wrong turn in the town you grew up in. But the fact that she was at the edge and that she was stuttering like the people and he touches her forehead and like he did with Norm, she seems to become herself. And she's like, you're an Avenger. Am I dead? Why would you be dead? Because you're dead. I'm like, okay, I was wrong. She is nothing. She is not a witch, even though she's dressed like a witch. I was about to say, look. Look at her outfit, though. She is dressed as the Halloween night idea of a witch, you know, with the hat and all of that. I thought they were just punking me, you know, like the Mandarin was Trevor. I thought, okay, you're telling me she's an Ormy. They threw me off 
the path. Yeah. They do all they can because I suppose it's getting pretty obvious that she's important at this point. That she's just turning up too much for her not to be a part of this plot. More than any other the other townspeople. We haven't seen Dottie again. And we were early on told she was a villain. She's nowhere here. And just as Vision is kind of turning on Wanda, we, when we cut to reality, we see that Darcy Wu and Monica have sort of become problematic for Hayward. He's tried to have them removed from the base and they're coming back dressed in soldier disguises to hack the system and find out what he knows. They know that Hayward is actually able to track Vision through his vibranium signal and that he has a very clear idea about what's going on in this town and that Monica is also genetically changing. That by being there, she's becoming a new being. She wants to go through it again. She says there's an astrophysicist physicist she knows who would be able to get her something that could protect her from photons. This is Reed Richards, right? And that's what all the people thought. I never thought that. They thought for sure John Krasinski was showing up as Reed Richards. Has he been cast as Reed Richards? No. <laughs> okay. I, I, good casting though, but they never reveal who this person is, right? It's that woman with the machine. That's it? Yeah. She, oh. she's, I, if she's an important character. It gets glossed over. We'll, we'll beat her actually in episode seven. We should probably wrap up episode six by saying that yes vision basically in exploring the outer edges of this town he had heard early on the kids were warned you don't want to go past ellis street he's going to keep walking into that field and ends up on the other side of the energy barrier for just a little bit before he breaks into pixels and wanda has to expand the borders yeah it's not really pixels there's like lines behind him he's still kind of cathode ray tubey but yeah chunks of him are flying off and he makes eye contact with Darcy, who, because she stayed around to hack the computer and sees Project Cataract, which I, I love that it says Project Cataract for eyes only. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't catch that, but it's, it's better than most sitcom jokes. How about that? But it's happening in the real world. It's Hayward's files. But yes, this is where Billy discovers he has magic powers. He's psychic like his mom. He hears Vision crying. He goes back to Wanda, who's really getting probed by Quicksilver at this point. He's like, how did you do this? Where did these kids come from? I assume they were sleeping the whole time. Yeah, now there's kids all over the town when Mm -hmm. it's been pointed out earlier that there are no kids around. Yeah, everything was for the kids and yet there were no kids and now the hay maze is full of them. I mean, we'll see a missing kid thing on a carton of milk as well. Mm -hmm. But she says, I don't know how I did it. I only remember feeling completely alone, just endless nothingness. And then a minute later, she is going to double the size of her power. Mm -hmm. Billy's going to say, Dad's needs help. She's going to realize he's on the edge of the border. And so she really annexes a larger part of New Jersey. And Vision, from this point, as badly as he might want to know what lies beyond Westview, uh, he's had that suspicion ever since the doctor in episode three said, oh, I'm not going to go on vacation to Bermuda because you can't leave a small town. His life depends on it. He cannot exist outside of Westview. And Darcy got handcuffed to a Jeep because she wasn't supposed to be there and she gets caught by it all and the troops turn into clowns the military vehicles turn into like food carts and Darcy gets just almost says the f word (laughs) 
So let me ask, you were asking about those early episodes that you found problematic. I'm assuming as we end here with everything being sucked in and and, uh, what was a sword base now becomes a carnival with soldiers becoming clowns, you are hooked. You definitely want to know how the next three episodes are going to go. When watching it weekly, I had some issues with pacing because I'm like, okay, she blasted Pietro at the very end of this. And I'm like, I need to start getting some answers. I need to know who is the big bad or if the big bad is Wanda, why? Really? You didn't know that it was her guilt and her desire to be shielded from Vision's death? I mean, he's been zombified. Like This very episode, she said she doesn't remember how it started. And I'm wondering if somebody manipulated her to start it. And looking back, though, I'm wondering, what did I expect for the end of this? I mean, given what I've seen so far, what was I expecting as a climax? I guess because it's Marvel, I expected a villain and a big fight, but I wasn't sure at the end of episode six where this was going or what it was going to give me. Because I, I kind of agree with you, Arnie, where in that I didn't know exactly where this was going to go, and is there going to be a villain, or is it just going to be about Wanda kind of being a jerk while she's dealing with her grief over her dead lover? And you know what? I would have been cool with that. I, I, how do you feel? Like, if that's all this was, was a show about a woman's grief, and, and there wasn't a big bad that came out? I mean, we kind of got Sword, who's an antagonist here, and I'm good with that. I don't know if I need a, another witch or, or someone else to show up and have a big laser fight at the end. Uh, w- w- would that have worked for you if this was just more of a personal story without those tropes that we normally get? They would need to wrap it up by next week. Oh, yeah. I what, agree. what I would say is I've been so far not complaining. And when we get to episode seven and eight, where I feel like, oh, we all understand what's going on. They belabor the point. They will spend an hour telling me things I already have inferred. But again, I've been talking about the five stages of grief. Here with episode seven, it is very clear. After expanding the town, she is in depression. And she's in the television show Modern Family. Or The Office. (laughs) No, no, no. She is doing such a spot on Claire Dumphy. Do they... I have only seen like one or two episodes of Modern... They talk to the the camera straight on. I okay. And the house looks like there. The kitchen is painted the same colors. And I watched every episode of Modern Family family the kitchen which seems to be the signifier in each of these sitcom eras is exactly like the dunfees from modern family and again elizabeth olsen just doing an amazing claire dunphy she must have studied julie bowen's mannerisms i mean the head tilts the hand waving and they gave her a similar haircut she is like the embodiment of Claire Dunphy. I just couldn't believe how perfectly she was playing that. I mean, this is the 2000s style. The Office, Parks and Rec, Modern Family, I guess. Even Arrested Development a little yeah, bit. Yeah, really the 2010s. I think that's where we're at. Is We can only now go to the present after this. And more to the point, we're now in the style of sitcom that allows yeah, direct address in which she's having to answer questions. And who is behind the camera asking those questions? Yes, we have of these early scenes of Wanda struggling to get out of bed, freaking out that all of her appliances and the carton of milk, the video game system are all jumping around in different iterations depending on what decade they decide to be in in the moment. The stork comes back. 
Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly we have someone ask her, as they occasionally did in those those sitcoms you talked about. You know, there'll be someone to ask a question. Rarely. Rarely did anyone behind the camera ever talk. Oh, I remember when they did that in The Office, when they finally, I think the last seasons, like, addressed why everyone was being filmed in that office. And, like, yeah, people did not like it. <laughs> Do you think that this is maybe what you deserve sends a chill down my spine. I like, wow, that is a really pointed thing to ask this woman that's clearly grieving and leads me to believe that it can't all be Wanda. It can't be just her in her own status. Or or maybe that is an external voice inside her own head, but it starts to put me on the path of thinking about Agnes. Yeah, and Agnes comes over to take the boys. Mm-hmm. Wanda couldn't be happier to get some her time. Maybe she needs to take that bath from the earlier commercial. Or Nexus Antidepressants, a spot-on ad for any medical new pharmaceutical answer that it would hit the market these days. I'm just laughing at side effects include feeling your feelings. I mean, like, to me, it's a joke. What I found interesting, I didn't put this together, and I don't know that you could from the show, but all of these commercials have, with the exception of the claymation one, have featured the same actors and actresses. Yeah, I noticed that. What the director said is happening is those were a couple people in the town. Wanda has taken control of them and is making them live out commercials. Mm Mm-hmm. So thinking about it like that makes me laugh in it at a whole new level versus, you know, I couldn't figure out why they were the same people. I didn't know why you would do that. But yeah, it's because she just has two commercial actors that she has cast in this town that, you know, like her, they just want out and they're stuck pimping Nexus. And they're starting to tell Vision their problems. Vision wakes up with the carnival all around him and he wants answers and eventually finds the new escape artist who's about to go on in the big top is Darcy and she'd rather drive around in a funnel cake car. Convenient. And once Darcy gets on the inside, she doesn't have much to do. The whole joke here is that they can't get to town. Wanda is setting up barriers. The light is red. When the light turns green, here comes a construction crew. The construction crew leaves. Here's a bunch of school children crossing the road. That's all they do this episode. Well, but more importantly, Vision learns his real story. He doesn't know about Ultron. He doesn't know what he was originally intended for and all the things that he's become since then. So he is also having direct address moments where he's talking to the camera and trying to process who he is. You just made something click for me because I had a problem. I thought it was a flub when he says, why is there a fake Pietro running around? I'm like, well, how does he know what Pietro looks like? I bet Darcy, because she's hooked on this show and been watching it, Mm -hmm. she's the one who said they recast Pietro. I bet Darcy told him. Yes. Yeah. Vision knows all now because of Darcy. Okay, and Darcy, just to mention, is awake because Vision did that forehead touch thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Vision can't get to town, but Monica can. She's going to try her ATV. Yeah, they gave her a space rover or something. I imagine this is something that will turn up when we get to Captain Marvel 2. Yeah, this is where we thought Reed Richards was making, right? Yes, and the front of it turns into like a minivan and it gets spit out of the <laughs> barrier. Just because, again, anything that's coming in here has to be approved by Wanda. She's not going to approve of space and what have you. She will, she will recontextualize it so that it makes sense and just be a pickup truck. 
But it did, we did learn earlier that it does mess with the molecules and something was going on with Monica. So she just walks through and all of a sudden she has blue eyes for a second that are like glowing. And we get to hear more audio from Captain Marvel as she's walking through. First of all, she phases and you see like five different Monicas and they're, yeah. you know, all from the different eras. And you hear little girl Monica's voice. And again, Sam Jackson's voice, Brie Larson. And skipping ahead to a mid-credit sequence in this episode, when we get to the end, she's going to be snooping around. Wanda tries to throw her out again, and we see a little bit of a battle. But she ultimately will be taken prisoner by Pietro. She will be trying to figure out what's going on and getting into Agnes's house, where Agnes had taken Wanda and swept her away. And then she is taken prisoner by Agnes's minion. Which we still don't know who the hell he is at this point. Yeah, but you get a sinister vibe from him, don't you? Yes, but I still think he's Quicksilver from the X-Men universe. Oh, see, I, I don't trust that because he does feel so sinister. I'm just, I, I suspect something, that he's a bad guy. He, he's got something bad going on with him. Particularly since we now know Agnes is Agatha Harkness, which means nothing to me, but I understand when people have witch covens with runes and stuff in their basement, they're bad news. And she has the kids, too. It's telling. I like the way that this moment is introduced in the that we think Wanda has been taken to a nice, secure, suburban place. She looks over and there's half-eaten sandwiches by Yo Gabba Gabba, <laughs> the bunnies in the cage. And then there's this cicada or something, this bug crawling on the curtain. And she's like, where are the twins? And it really starts us down that path of her going downstairs and learning all. And we get a musical interlude. It's like opening credits to the Monsters, only now we're seeing the opening credits to Agnes's show. Mm-hmm. I, I did love this. Like, I, I thought this was a nice surprise. I knew something was up with her, yes. but the fact that they gave her her own jingle, like, I, I like this a lot. Sung by Katherine Hahn. I bet when Katherine Hahn had her last birthday, she never thought one thing she'd do this year was have a number one single on iTunes. What? They released this as Agatha all along as a song that you could download? Uh-huh. Well, that may be a sign of the problem with the Billboard charts at this point, if this is number one. <laughs> it knocked Bieber out of first. Well, then I endorse it. <laughs> I don't think anyone really would call this a great pop song, but it is a good moment for the show. So episode eight is a necessary problem. We need to go back and look at everything and explain the magic trick, but did we need 45 minutes of it? No. I feel like this is a tough episode to get through. It is the longest episode, and we start with the Marvel logo turning purple. We are in Agatha's show, although the TV stuff is now gone. We did Modern Family. We're done being in sitcoms. We're going to be in the real world now, and Agatha is going to... We're going to start with Agatha's story. We're going to start with the Salem Witch Trials. Mm Mm-hmm. 1693. She is... I mean, it's a funny moment, because we think, oh, of course, she's a witch and they're about to kill her, and then you see her bound at the stake by magic, and I'm like, wait, huh? Yeah, it's other witches around her. Other witches want her dead for trying to steal their knowledge. And her mother is one of the witches killing her, but she turns it around and kills them. Yeah, because her power is she just absorbs witches' power? I Yeah, I take it to mean that she, for whatever trick, I don't really understand the character, but if the one thing I get is she'll literally say it later is this, like, I take other people's power that I think is undeserving. And so she did use the knowledge that this coven tried to protect against them, and now she's alone and hungry for more power. And once Wanda's power. 
the cicada does come back when we get back into the basement here she's trying to make wanda eat it like wanda's bound and she puts a spell on it and it climbs around her face and wanda clearly holds her mouth closed but it turns into a bird and then senior scratchy the rabbit eats it mephisto we met that rabbit in episode two because wanda borrowed it so they could pull it out of a hat Mm mm-hmm and is it somebody? Agatha whispers to Senior Scratchy, she does seem shocked to finally meet us. I thought it was just kind of a joke that she was talking to the rabbit because they've been doing all these TV sitcom type jokes. But apparently people are convinced that the rabbit is Mephisto the devil. I hope for their sake it is. God bless them. <laughs> Have your little in-joke comic book thing and don't make me watch somebody play the devil. I think that would not probably work in the context of this show and it would be distracting to suddenly have that character pop up here. I like that it's just a bunny. I don't like that the rest of this episode is uh, Agnes walking Wanda through a series of doors. We're going to go through Wanda's entire past. We're going to start with her as a little girl, and they can recast for little girl Wanda and little boy Pietro. I did have a problem early on. I'm like, did they really watch a lot of television in Sokovia? Did they get all the sitcoms? They're going to explain this was a special family thing. They'd have sitcom night. The father would buy old DVDs on the streets of Sokovia in the 90s. But we're going to kind of go through all of this. One of the big things about Pietro for me is that we're going to find out here specifically Agatha. We saw in Agatha all along she was controlling Pietro. And here she's like, yeah, necromancy isn't going to work. Your brother's full of holes. So you were so crippled by self-doubt, you believed this guy was your brother. But you know what I do wish? I wish they had gotten Aaron Taylor Johnson back for a cameo because we're going to see footage of Wanda participating in a protest that they say she was at with her brother. We don't see it. We're going to see Wanda undergoing tests at Hydra's base, where when we first saw that at the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, her brother was with her. Just bring him in for a moment during one of these flashback scenes, please, to let us know you guys know who the real Pietro is. You know what? I can honestly say I am never missing Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, I agree, Stuart. I never want him in my <laughs> life or any movie that I watch. I, I wouldn't be that harsh, but I don't miss him as Quicksilver or Pietro, as they call him in the MCU. It's a Wanda story, and it really becomes clear in this episode. If it hadn't been to you already, they'll literally walk you through it for a long period of time about how her grief led her to build this palace. It's not about Pietro or Vision or anybody else. It's about her. But it's also about Vision. I mean, it's WandaVision and the whole thing they're going to state in this episode is, you lost your parents and it was hard. You lost your brother and it was hard. You lost Vision and it was hard. So if it's about Vision and we see Vision and it's about her parents and we see her parents, why can't we see Aaron Taylor Johnson? (laughs) I don't need it. I really don't. And I, again, I won't say it again, I promise, but I really didn't need this episode. I feel like it's really tiresome. Although I suppose it's true. I mean, we haven't spent any time thinking about Wanda's grief and the fact that her life has been pretty tragic. They're going to retcon a lot of things here, though. Like, in the first flashback, we're going to see her as a little girl, and we heard the story in Age of Ultron about how she and her brother were trapped for two days under a bed, staring at a Stark bomb, waiting for it to go off. Now, we're going to find out she used a spell as a little girl. Long before ever seeing the Mind Stone, she had magic. They're saying she was a witch 
at birth. Yeah, she was touched by the paranormal, and it gets exacerbated when she moves to Hydra. Yeah, Agatha says it would have just died, that power would have died inside of you if it wasn't for Hydra and coming into contact with the Tesseract. Yeah. No, no, not the Tesseract, the Mind Stone. Yeah, which is in the Scepter. That's right, I keep... It was even confusing back then. Okay, so <laughs> that's right. There is the Scepter and the Tesseract. You know what would have helped me go along with this episode? Because I was trying to think about this series, like, let's get it down to a two-hour movie. Like, I'd really like that instead of six hours. And if this was a normal film, like, this kind of reveal, this would have been, like, a three-minute flashback scene, like, yes. tying everything together. Not 45 minutes, but if you're going to make me spend this time, forget about bringing Aaron Taylor Johnson into this. Make it the worst kind of episode, The Clip Show. Because that's what this is. Like, go with that trope. Mm-hmm. I thought that for sure, because there's always those flashback episodes, but yes. we never saw any of this stuff before. The important takeaway here, as someone that has not gone back and relived her story in the previous movies, and again, she was never a focal character for me, but it was kind of profound to remember that But what they're saying here, I, I don't know if this is new or not, but they're saying that she was touched by the scepter first and that her relationship with it expanded her magic and explains her love for Vision, because that stone becomes Vision in Age of Ultron. She turned it yellow, and in essence, that was her falling in love right then, even before he's made human. Are you saying she's super narcissistic and she just saw herself in the Vision, and that's why she fell in love with them? I don't think they want us to see it that way, but I think that there is... Yes, an aspect that touched her at that moment that explains why they fall in love in the next doorway scene. I do think that they're saying those two are kin, but I think that maybe Vision is drawn to her for that reason. It's his compassion for her and his comforting her after Pietro died in this scene. You know, same set that they used or looks just like it in... uh, Civil War when Vision visited Scarlet Witch in her quarters, but here he's the one who talks to her and comes up with a line that really took off. What is grief if not love persevering? Like, people on Twitter are like, wow, that really helped me get perspective about this loss I had in my life. Great. I'm not going to go there like that. I didn't even (laughs) notice that line, but if that means something for people, great. What my takeaway is that, yes, he's nurturing her here. He's drawn to her here. She, her whole life was her family. This was the first person that, you know, if you want a person in air quotes, this is the first person that she could feel a connection to beyond that. And it started when she came in contact with the stone and turned it yellow. And I don't even know that she turned it yellow. She saw it as yellow, but the people who watch it, it's kind of like her TV show. They just see her fall on the ground. It's a cut scene to them. Mm-hmm. They don't know what happened to her. Final doorway, we get back to S.W.O.R.D. We see what Hayward was alleged from her vantage point. She didn't come in like a terrorist blasting. She was permitted to come in, shown the dismemberment of her lover, told he was too important to be buried. Three billion dollars of vibranium. Wasn't going to be treated like a person. She couldn't handle that. But there is a nice callback. It was one of the reasons I went back and rewatched all the earlier Wanda stuff. She put her hand over his head and said, I can't feel you. Well, in Infinity War, he's having trouble with the stone when Thanos is coming and he asks her to read its mind and she says, I only feel you. And then at the end, when she has to kill him, he says, I only feel you. So this callback was a little sad for that. She's, you know, she's really 
not able to feel him, looking at a dismembered corpse of her lover. Who put the deed in her car, though? I couldn't figure that part out. When you see that scene in Infinity War of the two of them in whatever country they were in having their romantic interlude, and they were supposed to split up again, and she was supposed to go back to Cap, and he was supposed to go back to the Avengers base, and he was saying, what if we don't? What if we don't go back? And then they get attacked by a couple of Thanos' children. I can only surmise what they are retconning here is that Vision was saying, what if we don't go back to the Avengers base in New York, but instead go to this plot of land I've bought in New Jersey? Yeah, they were talking like that. I remember, yeah, they were always thinking about a life apart from it. So, yeah, it makes sense that they would be happy living in small town New Jersey. That totally is in character of Vision. That they would try to do what that I Love Lucy 50 sitcom said they would. Sneak in and and try to blend. And so we see her fall to her knees as she did in Age of Ultron. The power explodes out of her. She takes over the town. She creates Vision. It should also be said, we see her drive into town, and we see all the things from the show in a very sad, downtrodden way, much as the way I imagine things to be in America right now. (laughs) You know, like in a very post-economically disparaged way. The gazebo is shuttered. The man that was playing the piano now is like clearly looking for work and hanging flyers. Norm is a pizza delivery guy. (laughs) Yeah, the unclean swimming pool that was so pristine when Dottie was giving her Rotary Club speech. Like, everything is just kind of sad here. By exploding this way, she does transform it in a way that feels beautiful. We could see that what she's doing is very harmful to these people. Yeah, they're in pain. They're telling us they're in pain and they want their children. It's awful. But at the same time, she's giving them something in their life they don't have. I mean, it's a false promise of comfort. But it is nevertheless somewhat of a gift. It's both. A gift and a curse. Yeah, but it is it is more curse than gift we're going to discover. Well, ultimately, you want to have agency over your own life. And the fact that these people have to do what she says of course feels like enslavement. But given that we now know everything, right? This is what I expected the first episode to be. We know exactly how it happened. There was no outer influence. She just gave in to grief and rage and then repressed that memory and went into her I Love Lucy life. So at the end, are you guys pro-Scarlet Witch or anti-Scarlet Witch? Did they take her too dark? Or are you able to forgive her for her torturing an entire town? I mean, look, I hope she gets the psychiatric care that she needs. She's obviously in a lot of pain. I, I feel bad for her. People that are hurting often strike out against others, you know, not, not in this form, but, you know, I can't condone the bad behavior because you're you're grieving or you're depressed, but I can understand that. So I empathize with her. Yeah, ag- agreed. I think that she's both a villain and a hero here, that she's two things in one. Yeah, it makes her human, you know. She made a mistake, she wanted to correct it, and then she wanted to find herself. Yeah, I I side with her, you know. She went through a lot of trauma. She didn't mean to do it. They drive that home again and again. Last episode, episode 7, we were told it was Agatha all along. What was it that Agatha did? She created fake Pietro and killed a dog? This is where I got confused. I'm like, oh, is it Agatha's magic that created all this? I thought they were going to try to pull some twist, but that's clearly not the case. It's the Scarlet Witch created all of this, and Agatha just showed up to take advantage. So it wasn't Agatha all along. No, but still a great song. (laughs) 
You know, it is a fun song, but this show has teased so much. Multiverses, Resurrection, Mephisto, Agatha being behind it, and this big reveal this episode is, Wanda can't deal? I think I am blessed with the fact that I did binge it all and didn't have any time to overanalyze these moments. I accepted them as they came, and there was nothing strange about... By Agatha's reveal, I did not take it to mean that she was controlling the town. What she said that I remember she said was that there's more than one magic user here. And so that she was an interloper trying to learn magic, wanting to know why Wanda was doing it. And now finding out that she is this mythical figure in a book of dead that she kept in her basement. Yeah, we're finally going to hear the term the Scarlet Witch, which I guess we actually haven't heard. It's always been Wanda because there was rights issues with Fox, but they don't have to worry about that now. But they did make it a big deal. And I, I wonder if that really hit with the really hardcore Marvel zombies. They're like, yes, they finally got Scarlet Witch. It's not just Wanda Maximoff. It's that actual character now because they do try to make it a big moment. Oh, I think it's really important, but I'm going to save that until the next episode episode. Its importance takes, as it should, the entire season to reveal itself. And let's move on to a mid-credit sequence. It should be said, we cut back to Hayward, and he somehow used that Wanda-infused drone to create a new vision. Hand wavy. It looks like he put it in a vacuum, like one of those clear vacuums, and hooked the hose up to yeah, a it, tube. With it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. No. Did you guys assume it was evil in this? I did not have that impression. I thought this was just a way of bringing back Paul Bettany in a way that he could continue on. Well, yeah. No, it's both. It's we're gonna have an evil vision for a little bit, and then he's gonna turn good, and we got the vision back. Which I'm like, okay, if this is how we're gonna resurrect characters, like we didn't get Black Widow because the pandemic is she gonna get resurrected in that like are they bringing them all back no that's a prequel though but here i thought i knew what would happen i thought fake vision soul would merge with new vision's body and we'd have vision back exactly but you know Stuart, you've been complaining about this episode and jacob i think you have too i guess i'm sort of used to this because in a lot of the action shows i watch lost and buffy are a couple that come to mind the penultimate episode per season was always expository for two reasons. First, they had to save their money for a big final episode. Here, they're spending $25 million per episode on this, okay? That's a lot of money. They want to save a lot of the big bang for the next episode. But second, this is a setup episode. In television, you have those where you just have to take an entire episode to set up the next episode of action. That's fine, Arnie, but make it 20 minutes like the other episodes. It doesn't need to be this long. This is what the show was going for though again having seen a lot of interviews with these people who created it this is giving them the character exploration that they all felt including elizabeth olsen wanda never got in the movie she's always been glossed over again if this was going to be a movie this wanda vision was going to the big screen and it'd be two hours and 20 minutes this would have been way condensed and i don't think you would have lost a lot this scene would have been three minutes long i would have understand wanda just as much that they lied about her stealing the body and that she just looked at it and then left peacefully. She made this thing. She's traumatized. Like, I get it all. Like, I don't need 45 minutes. Yeah, they want you to understand it, but they also want you to feel it. And so the only positive I can say about the episode is I really never spent this much time before thinking about Wanda as a tragic figure. That wasn't how I thought of her. In fact, I didn't 
think about her that much. Yeah, and I think they do a good job of that because I feel like a lot of times Scarlet Witch in the comics is just like, women be crazy, right? They're hormonal. You got to kill them or else they're going to change reality. Like, I feel like that's what Wanda's role is in the Marvel comics a lot of times. And so for here to make it, yeah, she does go crazy and, and all that, but it's because of this grief and that's all in the comics, but I feel like this just streamlines it more. And I do appreciate that exploration. It has made me care more about a character that I, I didn't care at all about before. I never cared about Wanda in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I do want to point something out. This writing team, you said it was led by Jack Schaefer. Jack is J-A-C, short for Jacqueline, a female. Most of the writers in this team are women TV writers that have not done a lot of work before. They're getting their big break here. I do think it's important that Marvel is going to let women explain what the Scarlet Witch means in 2021. It is a loaded concept to have a woman, as you've already described, in leotards in a tiny bathing suit, who's a witch with horns. And there's so much about that that comes loaded with misogyny and questions. It is right that women define what Scarlet Witch should be. And that really does, for me, come into play when we get to this episode nine finale. Yeah, episode nine you know, we're at the final stage of the five stages of grief acceptance. I think that she got to that last episode. And this is episode nine entitled The Series Finale. This is, you know, again, no season two of WandaVision. Right. We Everyone has someone to fight. Vision has got a, a vision. What, what are you calling him? Cataract. Cataract. I like that. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with Cataract. Cataract versus illusionary vision. The, the one that is has no real body and the one that's all body but has no stone uh soul versus body i suppose concepts and cataract what i liked about that is you know he sees wanda and wanda goes up to him and he starts to crush her skull they changed his voice and i read about this in an interview they used the same filter for paul bettany here that they used for james spader in ultron so he has that ultrony kind of voice yeah they they spend a lot of the time in the clouds or in the library debating about which one is real I liked the ship of Theseus thing. I'd never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. But the question of what is the true ship of Theseus? This happens with us. Our cells die like every 10 years or something. All your cells have been renewed. So like this happens to humans. I, I really like this conversation they have. Yeah, I've never heard it discussed with ships, but I've heard that, yes, after seven years, none of the cells that you have were the original. So are you something new or are you still yourself is a theoretical concept. That is, it helps make this vision versus vision fight more substantial than just uh, knock them around the library. Yeah, if it's just lasers coming out of their forehead, uh, they would really uh, crap the bed here at the end. There's a lot of that, and I think it looks good. It looks very good for television. For TV, yes, it, it looks good. I think it would have played on the big screen here. It's not quite up to marble. It looks better than the frickin' end of Black Panther fight. Oh, jeez, that was awful. Yeah. Oh, God, those were some bad effects. I forgot about that. <laughs> Until now. <laughs> yeah, and that was deemed releasable. So, but I like that vision of all people, you know, Cataract is still a vision. He just doesn't have the memories, and that they would just choose to talk it out. It's kind of like the doppelganger fight at the end of Scott Pilgrim, too. <laughs> but they're just going to talk it out, and illusionary vision will unlock Cataract's memories. He thinks it's wiped, but as a 
vibranium synthesoid. The memories are still there so that he can be unlocked and his eyes go normal and he loses the Ultron voice. Does that mean that he knows where he's been? I thought that he had wiped his mind and that this vision would not be bound to an origin of Ultron. He knows everything. He has the memories, but does he have the personality? Does he have the emotions? He just knows that he is Vision, and he knows where Vision came from and what happened to Vision. He does know those things. Okay. Because he says, I am Vision and flies away. I'm not sure that the Vision storyline totally lands with me, but it's kind of cool that they're having this debate. And then the twins are there. There is a nice moment here. You know, we had all that talking last time, so this one is going to be all fights. But the twins show up and Vision is like, this is something we never trained you for and Wanda's, but you were born for it. And they go and, I guess, harass the troops and steal their hats. Yeah, they will go on to become Wiccan and Speed in the comics where, yeah, they have the powers of their mom and their uncle and they're displaying that here. This is the Incredibles moment where the family goes and, and fights everyone. But if you're feeling like I am, that Darcy, Photon, and the twins are being underserved in this finale, they filmed more. I figured. We talked about Senior Scratchy. The rabbit. The Satan <laughs> rabbit. Okay. What they filmed was the boys sense they need to get the Dark Home book for Mom. So they go down to get the Dark Home, and Senior Scratchy is down there, and we're going to find out Senior Scratchy was Agatha's familiar. And Senior Scratchy turns into a monstrous bunny creature, and they all have to fight Senior Scratchy. I'm fine with children fighting a giant bunny. That seems right. That seems like a fair fight. Yeah, Darcy just, what, takes out Hayward at the end and... In the funnel cake truck. And disappears. What's really distracting for me is you have this big battle and then it kind of gets resolved and all these sword agents are just standing around in the background. Like, I don't know. They need to be moving around. It's just everything stands still for Wanda and, and all that stuff. It, it was distracting to me. There's one moment where the bullets are fired and Monica kind of jumps in. Like, she has escaped Pietro's man cave. She's actually exposed him. Yeah, she used her magic eyesight power and could see he was wearing an enchanted necklace and she rips it off and all of a sudden he realizes he's Ralph. Ralph Boner. A wannabe actor. And then she comes running in front of bullets. I don't know how she knows she can deflect it. I guess there was a moment earlier in the series where she realized she had been wearing a Kevlar bulletproof vest when she entered the force field and that's why her 70s get up was bulletproof would you assume every time you walk in you're bulletproof i don't know well no i think it's because they drop a line about how it's messing with her actual genetic makeup and like changing it okay and i don't know if she knew it would go through her yeah or maybe it's like scarlet witch it's just uh very instinctive or maybe she was willing to die to save a kid mm, there's always that too i don't know she does that landing that deadpool makes fun the of superhero the superhero landing, landing. yeah <laughs> But of course, the real fight is Agnes versus Wanda, or Agatha, I should say, who, I guess, every time Wanda fights back is actually playing into her hand. She is withering and watching her powers being sucked into the enemy witch. But she doesn't realize it at first. They have a big knockdown, drag-out fight, shooting laser beams from their hands like you do in every superhero movie. Although Wanda does go back to one old trick. She hits Agatha with a 
car out of nowhere, which is the same thing she did to Iron Man in Civil War. <laughs> yeah, and you get to see Agatha's boots there, like, the yeah, the witch that the house lands on. I like that. I smiled. Yeah, but here, as she's fighting Agatha, she starts to lose a little bit of control of the town. The townies are turning on her. Because her powers are, are being taken away, so they're not under her control anymore. And I understand why they'd be angry with her. Yeah, Dottie, the one that we thought was the enemy, is now, you know, the one that says, I don't believe you wouldn't hurt people. Well, we find out she has some daughter locked in a room somewhere. But here's something I read, and it changes the way I look at the scene. The townspeople just kind of walk up and encircle her and stare at her. Filming was shut down due to COVID. This started filming in November of 2019, and then they had to shut down, and they picked it back up. But they were, you know, those really early days of filming when nobody got within six feet of each other, including actors. That's why all these sword agents are just, like, standing so far away Mm. in the background doing nothing. I felt it. Yeah, that's why the people, apparently they were supposed to, like, get physical with Wanda, and Wanda was going to use her magic to choke them, to stop them from beating her up. But here, they just talk mean to her and yell at her, and so she uses her magic to choke them. But then she opens the town. She's like, run. And they all do. None of them go back for those kids they were so concerned about two minutes ago. They're all going for the border of town. But that starts to kill not just Vision, but Tommy and Billy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they create some kind of, if you are willing to give up your delusion, you have to give up on the family that you aren't prepared to leave. I wasn't sure. I thought the kids might be able to walk out of there, you know? We learned Vision couldn't, but I kind of thought maybe the kids would. I mean, knowing that they're wicked in speed. Yeah, I thought maybe somehow they come up with a way for the kids to stay. They got a new Vision already, cataracts flown off, but he'll be back in some movie or something. But yeah, these kids, I did wonder, like, maybe she will just shrink the hex down to the size of her house. Like, maybe she hasn't totally gotten over this death and she still needs to mourn a little bit, but she realizes it's wrong to do it to this entire town. I wasn't sure where they were going to go, and that, that's always good to be surprised. Yeah, remember, they were trying to do it early, early on when they figured out these were hypnotized townspeople. They were trying to find out the real identities behind all of these fake names, they could never find who these kids were, which leads me to believe that they're illusionary. It's not like these are townies that got convinced that they were. No, they're, they're like the vision. They're they're just figments of Wanda's imagination. Yeah, they can't exist outside of this bubble. Both vision and these children are interdependent on her staying in this realm in order to exist. And we talked about is Mephisto around devil's bargain, devil's bargain. Agatha makes the devil's bargain. You cast the spell wrong. You give me your power. I'll fix this spell for you. And then you can just live here. You can you can have your utopia. You can have your family. And these people won't be tortured. They'll just be, you know, controlled. But they won't know it. And you can have a happy life. Just give up your power. But of course, as soon as she thinks Wanda has, then comes the, oh, I was lying. Once cast, a spell can't be fixed. So Agatha was lying all along. But finally, she starts to pretend to give it up. She's giving her power to Agatha. And you know what I thought this would be? Is Ang Lee's Hulk. (laughs) 
Remember the end of that where... Biting electrical wires? Nick Nolte says, I want your power. And Eric Bana says, take it all. And then Nick Nolte's like, no, it's too much. I can't handle it. And blows up. I thought that's where this was going to go. But no, they go a different way. No, no. But they set up the protection runes in, what, the episode before. That You know that's got to come back. Yeah, Agatha gave too much of her evil plan away and gave Wanda what she needed to beat her. She renders her powerless and turns into the Phoenix from X-Men? I'm not quite sure. No, she turns into the Scarlet Witch. She's got the headdress and everything now. Well, here's what I like. I feel like the writers are like, you know what? She's going to accept her power, but she's not going to accept the label. She will say, I'm not that. Whatever your book says I am, I am not that, but I will fully acknowledge that I am powerful and maybe more powerful than Doctor Strange. And I think that is the right feminist take for this character. Don't call her anything. Call her Wanda. She's Wanda, and she just happens to wear this kicking outfit. It's satisfying that Agatha is going to be turned back into the role that she chose of nosy neighbor. But what does that really mean when the whole town is going to be erased or whatever it is? I mean, my presumption is in coming out of this and and accepting that Vision died, that Wanda is essentially letting go of this delusion and wherever Agatha thinks she's living, I don't know what it means. I think it means she's just going to be stuck there in that depressed-ass town with the broken-ass pool, and if she's lucky, get a job delivering pizzas. Oh, that's the real place. You think she's living there trying to, you know, be neighborly with real downtrodden New Jersey people? Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's what Wanda does, is she takes away Agatha's memory, and then they go back to her house, and she starts to bring in the town. It just closes in on her, and on the movie theater, it says Tannhauser Gate. Mm-hmm. A Blade Runner reference. Yes, which Roy Batty talks about as he, a fake person, is dying. Yeah. Blade Runner is a go-to if you want a melancholy story about what does it mean to be human when you're not. It's always the maybe the best example of that out there. And so, yeah, Vision asking as the red curtain is being pulled back and he's moments from being vaporized, who am I? I like her answer. Your memory made real. You might have started as a weapon, some bad guy's plot, but now you are how I remember my love. And who knows who we will be next, and if there will be another season of this. There could be another show with Wanda, but WandaVision seems very specifically named yes, for this agreed. television premise. Yeah, and, and Wanda is left staring very clearly, clear-eyed, at an empty lot about a dream house that will never be built for her and Vision. She has accepted her aloneness for the time being and, yeah, says a goodbye to Monica, who is the only one that understands what it is to want to use your powers to bring back dead loved ones. She would have done the same for her mother. I don't know that that mirror of grief is played for all it could be with Monica, but it is a nice touching thing that she says goodbye, especially since Darcy disappeared. Right. And so, yeah, we get two stingers to see where each of those characters are going to be headed in future projects. Monica's clearly going to Captain Marvel 2. Yeah, and this scene felt really out of place here, didn't it? Like, they're arresting Hayward. Some agent comes up and says they want to debrief Monica in the movie theater. And now it's a scroll. An old friend of your mother wants to see you. I'm guessing Talos, but maybe Nick Fury. And 
earlier, they talked about the end battle of Endgame because Monica had said Scarlet Witch almost took out Thanos on her own. That's when he had to tell his ships to rain fire and kill his own troops to stop Scarlet Witch from kicking his ass. Then Hayward goes, well, Captain Marvel did pretty good. Monica bristled at that. Well, we're not talking about her. So what's her problem with Captain Marvel? To be continued. Yeah, you're right. There was a weird energy about like, why did you leave my mom? It's the way I took it. But yeah, who knows? Who knows what that means? And who knows what it means that Wanda and Scarlet Witch are two different beings in a log cabin somewhere remote. She hears her kids crying, so that's every indication that they are still somewhere. And right now, Elizabeth Olsen is filming Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness. The one thing I'll say is I'm really, really pissed off about that boner they pulled with Ralph. (laughs) You know, that doesn't work well. Remember the Mandarin. But the creators have only said this. Who's to say Evan Peters won't show up again? This was Wanda's story. We had to focus on concluding Wanda's story. What does Evan Peters mean? Maybe nothing. Or maybe he is opening a door. Yeah, we're gonna get Ralph Boner and more (laughs) Marvel films? But are you going to give red scarlet arrows? Jacob, Stuart, do you recommend WandaVision? Jacob. The idea of television, especially stuff like sitcoms, has fascinated me for a long time. I remember when I was writing a whole lot, just, you know, short stories and fiction and that. I, I tried to write this story, like, that took place in a sitcomish type world, kind of like this. But it was going to deal with really dark things. Like, oh, let's deal with date rape, but have it wrap up with a happy ending in 30 minutes, like a sitcom would. Because what does that say about our culture? And there's a lot of stuff to mine there. That was intriguing to get into WandaVision and and what are they going to say with all this sitcom stuff? Well, guys, this, this is a Disney plus Marvel Cinematic Universe thing. And I don't think they really have those kind of ambitions. I'll, I'll just put it that way. You know, I'm looking for something more Lynchian in that. That's not this. This is Disney. This is Marvel. That's fine. I, I'm going to put those things aside. David Lynch did make a Disney movie. Just going to point it out. I know, but it, it's, it's not a weird Lynch movie. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's not full Lynch. You know what I mean. I do. So, you know, watching this, I'm shocked to hear that people were, like, outraged at this, especially, like, hardcore Marvel fans, because I think this was a pretty fun little series. Like, again, I think it would have made another nice little entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, make it two and a half hours and throw it out there. I would have liked this entry. What what always surprises me with Marvel, what what I think is their biggest success, even though I don't, I wish they would take more risks with some of their stories, is that they're able to take characters that I haven't liked before and then turn out a film where I end up liking that character more. That was the revelation with the original Avengers film is they made the Hulk cool. They made Black Widow cool. Like they took all these characters that I didn't like in other films and now like they gave them a great story and great character. I'm like, wow, I want to see more about these characters. Here we are with Wanda and Vision, two characters I did not care about. I didn't want none of them. I didn't want to watch no WandaVision. Give me the Falcon and and Winter Soldier. Those are characters I want to see do some action. But surprise, surprise, or maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I should just learn my lesson and accept that, again, Marvel, they're going to turn out a good product. Even if it's not, like, the most challenging thing, they're going to turn out something that's entertaining. Here, it's about grief, and it's about a woman who lost something, and I feel that, and that's what I appreciated this. So even though I think the whole, like, Quicksilver thing was kind of just to get people talking and get people to tune in, and they do a lot of bait and switch or or just things that don't really pay off the way you would expect them to, this is a television miniseries. They got to have those cliffhangers to get 
you to tune in. So I'm willing to be more forgiving towards that kind of stuff. So again, it surprised me that now I care about Scarlet Witch and I want to know what happens with her in the Marvel Universe. So that's success. This is definitely a recommend. Stuart. That's exactly it. That's exactly where I land. Wanda and Vision were never my focus in the Avengers. Never characters that I cared about, despite the fact that I think the actors that played them, particularly Elizabeth Olsen, were really strong and brought a lot of warmth and romantic chemistry. They were doing the best they could with some very silly-looking, ill-defined, stupid, C-string superheroes. And I was not begging for anything more from them. A spin-off sitcom or a full-on movie, no thank you. But, as is often the case when you see the finished results, Marvel has a logic for making this the kickoff to the MSU. I mean, the the Marvel streaming universe. It's now obvious and well-reasoned that this would be the way that they would find a path into serialized television and make it as integral as their movies. They've done a great job of, of, again, allowing those female writers to have the final say on what it means to be Scarlet Witch and to show the story of a, a woman dealing with grief, losing control, and then finding her power. I think that it's handled very tactfully, very well. I'm not sure they totally reached the answer on that, but I appreciate the effort that's made, and, and you're right. I suddenly care about a character that I didn't think that I would ever care about. Most importantly, they just closed the circle. Like, I feel like we have their backstory. We know something about them that was never going to be explained, never going to be made room for in an Avengers movie. And now we've had something that feels like a nice bow on an end. To me, this feels like the end of the story and not the beginning of a new chapter. Could be wrong about that. But I appreciate that it was put out the way that it was. I don't think I would have liked this as a feature film, although I would have liked for it to have been shorter. I think it was right to make this the episodic miniseries that it is. And I hope they consider doing that with more semi-useless characters. I'm I'm looking at you, Ant-Man and Wasp. I think, like, they're perfect. They're getting a third cinematic <laughs> film, Stuart. That is too bad, isn't it? That is just so sad. All I'm saying is this is a viable format for B-string and C-string superheroes. If you're not one of the all-stars, you can go here and flourish. Yes, this series was a little bit long. Yes, I would have liked the mysteries to be a little bit more provocative. I feel like spilling the tea by episode three, but like we had to wait another five or six episodes for them to get to the conclusion. In the end, you're right. It's a Disney Plus show. It kind of feels like a Pixar movie, like Inside Out, where we see the mechanics of grieving made magical realist. And despite the episode seven, episode eight drag, I think it's a really nicely told story appropriate for all ages. And so my complaints are minimal. This may not be a movie, but this is one of the better MCU efforts and a solid recommend. So let me start with my negatives. First, Evan Peters. Not only was his inclusion incredibly disappointing, I dare say his casting was downright irresponsible. It meant nothing. They knew. It punked you. That's what it meant. I love that it fooled you. This is Audrey showing up in Twin Peaks The Return all over again. That flash of her in some all-white room. Like, what does it mean? Nothing. It didn't mean nothing. It meant that you freaked out and spent weeks going crazy about it. No, 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 no. 
You didn't have fun with that? You didn't enjoy that as something? Like, I like to be surprised. I'm surprised that you were mad that they didn't go with the way you would want it. There's all kinds of surprises. Surprise! That lump in your breast metastasized! Wow. (laughs) Really? This is where you're going with this? I see no fault of the writers playing with expectations and playing off meta-knowledge. I'm not as angry as Arnie, but I am kind of see your point, Arnie. Like, I could see why people would be upset because it didn't mean anything. No, but, all right, that's number one. That is my biggest pet peeve with this. Number two, though, I feel like the pacing was just off in this. I had a lot of trouble graphing my interest week to week, and there were several weeks where my feeling was when I saw Please Stand By coming up at the end of the episode, I'm like, no, how about you get on with it? And I agree with you guys. Nine episodes was a little bit long for this. They kept the things dragging on a little too long. And three, I feel like Monica, her origin story feels shoehorned in. I haven't seen a character this needless since Black Widow and Iron Man 2. So those are the negatives. But the plus, I mean, it's overall a great series. You know, I really like the acting from both leads and Catherine Hahn was great. I like what it set up. You know, she's more powerful than Doctor Strange, and I thought Doctor Strange was overpowered to begin with. There's a new vision out there. I was disappointed in Agatha. I mean, her only motivation is give me power. Marvel has a problem with villains a lot of the time, and here's yet another one. But when I watched the show week to week, I had some really bad weeks. But when I binge-watched it, as you both did, it worked so much better. It works if you don't have to drag it out over the weeks. And I understand why they did it. Because this show got huge ratings and huge social media scores because everybody was talking about it because you dragged it out for eight weeks. You get a buzz that you don't get when you just dump all the episodes at once. But this works so much better watched in two sittings like a long movie versus where you have a whole week of guessing and all your guesses lead to nothing. Every hypothesis is a letdown. But the acting is great. The main characters are really fleshed out. I like the performances of the sub-characters. I like that they brought in Deborah Jo Rupp and Emma Caulfield and face actors from television to be in this town. It's a recommend, but my real question is, is this the best Marvel TV show ever? Live action. I think I like Jessica Jones more than this, but this is probably number two. Jessica Jones, if it hadn't been for season two, probably. I'm I'm just going off the first seasons. Those are the good ones. (laughs) I'm going to say this is the best Marvel television show ever. They finally got TV right. They finally made TV feel worthy enough to lift Mew Mew. So, yeah, I give it a solid recommend, but I really hope I'm giving a strong recommend to Falcon and Winter Soldier. God, Disney is giving us new Marvel every week. We're recording this on Thursday night. In a few hours after we stop recording, they're releasing the making of WandaVision. And then next week, Winter Soldier. It's starting already? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We'll cover it when it completes in May. So we will have uh, that question will be answered. It looks a lot more like a movie. It looks a lot more exciting with explosions and fights and things. Well, yeah, that trailer is just a big old action scene. It looks fun. Yeah, I'm anxious. They have proven they can do it right. And they went in a really strange direction, you know, going with the sitcom thing. They pulled it off. 
Now, let's get a good Sam and Bucky story. I'll just put it this way. With the success of the way that they treated these characters, I'm looking more forward to seeing the old characters get complete backstories than the official movies. Like Black Widow and Shang-Chi, I would rather watch Winter Soldier and Loki. The new series are more exciting than the new movies. Uh, You know what? Again, never count out Marvel. Like, you can have expectations... And they will oftentimes meet and surpass them. So maybe they'll all be great, and I hope that they are. Meanwhile, next week, talking about expectations, we get another superhero streamer, Zack Snyder's Justice League. (laughs) I'm not not looking forward to it. (laughs) I recommended Justice League. So if this is a new and improved cut, (laughs) so be it. It's a new cut. Right. It's a more Snyder cut than what we got last time. Joss Whedon's fingerprints will not be on it at all. I will remain optimistic while recognizing that DC does not have the quality control of Marvel. But this Friday, we have a show coming out for our patrons that, Stuart, I know you're so happy to let listeners hear this one. Friday, I can finally let Dragon Ball go out of my life because for our March patrons, we're covering the most recent movie of a 35-year-old franchise. Dragon Ball has been going since the mid-80s. And a few years ago, they had the 2018 animated film Bringing Back Broly. What does that mean? I'll tell you that and more when you join us this Friday. We hope you can join us, patrons. Remember, if you sign up for our patron campaign with a donation of $10 or more, you're not only getting Super Broly, but every patron review we have ever done. The Warriors. The Wizard. <laughs> wow, yeah, wow, what a combo. I mean, just stop there. That's not the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the Wizard from 1989 with Fred Savage playing with the Power Glove. Enter the Dragon, Apocalypse Now. Monster Trucks. <laughs> exactly. It's like every third one, you're like, ooh. But that can be kind of fun, too. I would argue that some of uh, the worst movies can make some really entertaining shows. Real Genius. Do you need anything more to become a patron than to know Real Genius is one of the over 50 reviews you get for a $10 pledge? Head to nowplayingpatron.com. And if you pledge $75, you can join us and listen live. We were live right now with a number of listeners who came by and for $100 or more, get to chat with us before the show. Yep, we'll be doing it again in April and the movie is going to be Mortal Kombat. We're getting back to the now playing arcade and HBO Max will be streaming a new take R-rated. It looks kind of good. Yeah, I, I, I don't miss the 90s version that Arnie loves so much. For those of you still listening to this marathon of a show, you find out about a giveaway we've got going on. This one is another digital download giveaway for the film Cosmic Sin. Huh. Starring Frank Grillo, who... He's pretty good. I don't know if you guys saw his recent movie, Boss Level. It wasn't terrible. I wouldn't recommend it, but it wasn't terrible. (laughs) No, but I liked him in the Purge films. Like, I'm always up for some more Grillo. Yeah, I liked him in Purge and Captain America. But he was good in Boss Level. It just wasn't a great movie. And it has Bruce Willis, who plays a retired general. So we have a retired actor playing a retired general called Back into Service. Willis has definitely committed some cosmic sins. I can get behind this movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's leading a team of soldiers against a hostile alien fleet. Oh, this one also has an actor who I love more than I should in it. I bring him up all the time on the show. Well, whenever we see something he was in, and we did recently, he was in it. Lachlan Monroe from Dead Man on Campus. And it has Costas Mandalore. (laughs) You should be very, very happy sitting down to watch this. And so will five other people. Yes, and to enter, we set up on Facebook a new Facebook group for Now Playing listeners. So instead of the page, which we always felt was a little too one-sided, we're posting stuff, but couldn't really talk with you guys, we now have a Facebook group. And if you join our Facebook group, which is linked to from the Now Playing page on Facebook, then you will be entered to win one of these copies of Cosmic Sin. And we're going to announce the winner on March 21st. Good luck, everyone. So, that is it, but we will be back in just a couple of months when at least we get to see a couple of Avengers Assemble! I have been a voice with nobody. A body but not human, and now... a memory made real. Who knows what I might be next? said goodbye before so it stands to reason we'll say hello again thank you for listening to this episode in the now playing Avengers retrospective series lucky for us we got the best seats in the house part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am we hope you've enjoyed the show We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're going to knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. 
You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that. Right? Now Playing is edited by Arnie. All right, let's start over. You can edit it. Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Now playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. You <gasps> he are. just did it again. Entertaining the gods. This is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2021. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Any last words? They're in the Brady Bunch, right? They have the Brady Bunch backyard. Oh, that house is the Brady house, yeah. With some Partridge family in it, too. I mean, they were always the flip side of the Bradys. You know, you're a Munsters or an Adams family person. You're a Brady Bunch or a Partridge family person. I was Brady Bunch. I don't know if there's actually Partridge family people. I always felt like they were also Rands. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I actually known some. Usually it's for David Cassidy. Okay. They are wrong. It's not for Bonaducci, for sure. But (laughs) no, no. (laughs) Yeah.